and mainly these negative reviews came from hardcore gamers, or what we would say, quote unquote. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I just knocked down my filter. Nice. Were you actually doing air quotes as if anybody could see yes, them? Yes, I was. I knocked it down. <laughs> Very good, man. I love it. You are now listening to the RF Generation Playcast. The Playcast is the place where Single Banana and I, GreyGhost81, discuss the monthly community playthrough games selected by us and played by a community of gamers on RF Generation and social media platforms like Twitter. Every episode features input from the community and maybe some guests. In episode 51, we'll take a look at Beyond Two Souls from one of our favorite developers, Quantic Dream. This game pushes the cinematic presentation to the max with an all-star cast and some might say minimal gameplay. How does it rank among Quantic Dream's other works? Stay tuned to find out. You can listen to our show on Podbean and iTunes, where we always appreciate a good review. On Twitter, we're at RFG Playcast, Rich is at The Single Banana, and I am at Mr. Sean Gray. Most importantly, be sure to log on to RF Generation to discuss the games with us and have a chance to get mentioned on the show. Thanks for listening, and now, on with the Playcast. Mr. West, Mr. West, Mr. Fresh, Mr. By himself, he's so impressed. I mean, damn, did you even see the test? You got D's, motherfucker D's. Rosie Perez, and yes, barely passed. Any and every class, looking at every ad, cheated on every test. I guess this is my dissertation. Homie, this shit is basic. Welcome to graduation. Good morning. Good morning. On this day we become legendary, everything we dreamed of. I'm like the fly Malcolm X by any jeans necessary. Detroit where it cleaned up. So you're gonna make me talk about some socialist sport where you can't use your hands. Oh man, really? Is that the way you feel about it? <laughs> Actually no. I'm I'm being a little facetious, but I, I don't watch soccer, but I'm enjoying all the hype around it. 
my friends at work are into it and I actually have a Mexico jersey that I've been wearing to work. So they're two and one, but they're playing Brazil on Monday. So yeah, that's going to be a tough one. And uh, but we'll be rooting for them because it's playing here at like 9 a.m. in the morning on Monday. So by the time this show airs, it'll be all over and done. But we're kind of excited. We're going to like listen to the game at work. So that's very cool, man. Yeah, but now you like soccer. We've talked about this before. So are you super into it? Like I the only thing I really know is how is Mexico doing in that the United States wasn't even in it. So Yeah, well you bring up two really big points here. Those are that A, you're pulling for Mexico, and that's like a huge no no in the US because they're like our mortal enemy. Though, okay. <laughs> honestly, I'm pulling for them too. But when we go to Mexico City, if you're a U.S. fan and you actually get to go at the game, you have to sit inside a cage because oh, wow. of the beer bottles and stuff that are thrown <laughs> at you. And it gets really, really rabid and, and violent. But uh, yeah, I mean, we're mortal enemies. But you know what, man? I'm still pulling for them because I'm pulling for North American teams. And I hope they do it. I, I don't know if they're going to be able to, but uh, they look good their first two matches, you know? Nice, yeah, the, dude. <laughs> you could you could say that to me. I can't. <laughs> I, all I did was look at the scores. I mean, listening to the game on Monday will be my deepest exposure to soccer that I've ever had in my life. So, <laughs> yeah. But your second point you brought up was that you know not a lot of Americans are watching it, and it's a real shame. I heard that TV ratings are down like forty six percent this year because the U.S. isn't in it, and I have to say. If you're not watching it this year, you're missing one of the best World Cups in history. It's so good. And, you know, you just have to do like I did. You just pick about two or three teams to follow and root for. And uh, it's a lot of fun to watch. My wife is really into it, too. She loves it. This past Sunday, we actually sat down and watched all three matches all the way through. It was great. Unfortunately, man, it's eating up my video game time. And uh, I'm not going to play a lot of games, as you'll hear about in my What Are You Playing This Month. So, Oh, wow. Yeah, but uh, it's really cool, man. It's, it's really enjoyable. Nice. Well, speaking of things that are very enjoyable, uh, by request of Duke Togo from the Collector Cast, we're <laughs> going to talk about some shows that we've gone That's to. Right. and. I understand he really likes this part of the show, so shout out to Chris. <laughs> yeah, we may rename this section and uh, have you sponsor it, Chris. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so it looks like we both went to shows. Do you want to start or do you want me to? Well, mine was something I mentioned anyway. Well, it usually is because we do talk about this all the time, as as we just mentioned. <laughs> but um, no, I went to saw the Get Up Kids again at the Mohawk, which is probably my favorite venue downtown here. But um, the one noteworthy thing we did was at this venue, there's like a upper deck with like three rows and then a set of bleachers in the very back. I'm not sure how the view is from the bleachers, but we decided to get there a little bit early and just go up into this balcony on the front row. So I was just like kind of leaning on a, a rail, overseeing everything. And if you look on my personal Instagram, you can see a really cool picture that I took no beer bottles were thrown or beers were thrown. I shouldn't say bottles. That's exaggerating a little. Cups and cans of beer were thrown, but not at me because I was above it all. So it was that was <laughs> the most noteworthy, uh, but yet uh, revelatory part of my concert experience. And the band was amazing. Get Up Kids, like I said on the last show, I won't go too deep into it. Great band, one of my favorites. And 
I will probably see them every time they come around to town as long as they continue to be active because they've been around for a very long time. So great show. Very cool, man. Yeah, there's those bands that come around town and you try to go see them every time they come because usually it's like a smaller venue or tickets are cheap. And so it's always a good time. I have a few of those people that that I'll just buy tickets for whenever I hear they're in town, you know, if I happen to catch them. So, yeah, very cool. Well, speaking of bands that most people will never catch again, I went to the Paul Simon farewell tour with my wife. It was her birthday on June 19th, and so uh, that was part of her birthday present this year. Awesome, awesome show. He's uh, gotten up there in age, and it's time for him to retire. He's looking a little, you know, a little slower, but to be honest, his voice is still as good as it's always been, and uh, he put on a very, very fantastic show, played a lot of songs, did two encores, and uh, played a lot of our favorites, but the funny thing is he didn't play my wife's favorite song or my favorite song, which is, you know, that's just the way it falls. You know, everybody's got their favorites. So, uh, and ours are, I would say not like the chart topping hits from Paul Simon or Simon and Garfunkel. So, you know, it's definitely understandable. And the guy's catalog is so huge that there's no way he could have played everything. Well, what are the songs you gotta tell us? Well, my (laughs) wife's favorite song is Cecilia, which you might've heard. And my favorite song is Only Living Boy in New York, which was actually on the uh, Garden State soundtrack. You probably saw that movie at least, right? I have not seen that What? (laughs) Aren't you from Jersey? Yeah, that was a very popular movie for a long time. You're very Zach Braff aware, huh? Yeah. And I think, (laughs) wasn't it Natalie Portman was in that? I would watch it for her. I love Natalie Portman. Yeah, me too. Um, but yeah, I've never seen it. I hate the shins too. So you hate so, the shins, really? Yeah, I. Oh I, man, <laughs> I will say this: that movie did do one thing that I hated. There's this one part where Natalie Portman has these headphones on, and she's like, "Oh, listen!" And she hands the headphones to like Zach Braff. She's like, "It's the shins," and she just says that in the middle of the movie. And I'm like, "That's the worst line I've ever heard." I don't know. If you don't see the movie, man, you're not going to be missing anything. It's not bad, but it's not the best thing since crunchy peanut butter that people make it out to be. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. But let's get back to this. You don't like the shins comment. Oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, come on, man. (laughs) Okay, so in general, I just have grown out of the kind of mellow, boring indie rock scene that was very popular in the mid-2000s. I actually never really loved the Shins, but I never had a problem with them. But now I kind of lump them in with all these other bands like Death Cab for Cutie and even Built oh, to Spill, like, like all these bands from back then that just don't do it for me anymore. So th- that's all there is to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I heard the Shins really early. I caught on to them during, I think it was their first album, Oh Inverted World. And I, I still have that original blue vinyl of theirs. And I come back to it from time to time that and uh shoots too narrow but it's not something that i play all the time but i am kind of into that kind of moody music anyway so it's right up my alley but anyway we can still be friends oh good because <laughs> we kind of have to do this show right, <laughs> right. i hope we wouldn't break up the show and our friendship over the shins <laughs> yeah <laughs> All right. Well, what's next? What do we got here? There's a game announcement that you're actually excited about. 
the, that's what it says yes. on the outline so, here. I'm just reading verbatim. Yeah, no, this is kind of cool. As I was listening back to the last episode, the 50th episode, which, by the way, came out amazing. And I got to shout out everybody who sent in their clips. And we, yeah. we just had such a fun time and a great conversation. It was a really good show. I mean, Rich, you knocked it out of the park with the editing. Oh, thanks, it was just a really good listen to listen back to that show. But I, I literally said a month ago, like, I can't even imagine what kind of game would get announced nowadays that would get me excited because I'm so jaded and cynical about video games and collecting. And I don't, you know, nothing excites me anymore. You don't like the shins. <laughs> I don't even like the shins. So, <laughs> <laughs> so then, lo and behold... They announce um, that they're going to make a Kill La Kill video game. And I've been begging for a Kill La Kill video game for a long time. I've posted on Instagram many times about this. Like, we need a Kill La Kill video game. And for those who don't know, Kill La Kill is an anime by Studio Trigger. And it's hard for me to say, like, what's my favorite anime of all time? It's kind of like picking your favorite band. For me, at least, a lot of people can say easily what their favorite anime is, but I have so many. I love Attack on Titan. I love Death mm -hmm. Note. I love Oron High School Host Club. I can name drop a bunch of anime that I really love, but if you put a gun to my head, I would tell you that Kill la Kill is my favorite anime of all time. I even cosplayed as Ryuko Matoi for Halloween last year. It was awesome. Oh, yeah. um, she's like one of my all-time favorite characters ever. So they announced a Kill la Kill video game, finally. It's going to be made by Arc System Works. There's not a lot of information about it. Um, mm -hmm. There's a very scant like teaser trailer and almost no information, but it's being described as a battle action title for up to two players. And so people are kind of speculating that it's going to be like either a hack and slash or a muso kind of game or a, like one of those Dragon Ball Z huge arena fighting games. So any of those would be awesome. So yeah, I'm super excited. What are you pulling for though? I mean, you got to have a preference, right? I mean, I'm sure you wouldn't want a battle arena game over like a hack and slash, right? Agree completely. Like Listen, if they come out with a Dragon Ball Z-esque, like, flying around the world one-on-one -on -one fighter, that wouldn't be the greatest thing in the world, but that would be fine and cool. But what I would really love is, like, a Bayonetta-style technical hack-and-slash game where you play as Ryuko or, like, all the other characters. The way the anime is set up would be very good for a video game because it's kind of like when we were talking about Rhapsody, there's, like, a rogues gallery of enemies, so to speak, that Ryuko has to get through in the story. So it would oh, fit yeah. perfectly to uh, the structure of a video game. So, yeah, super psyched. Cool, man. All right, well, let's move on into our site news because that's pretty much the only news that we have this month. It looks like uh, our Pain Yourself with Submissions contest is coming along. We usually do that in July, but someone who's over the front page, I can't remember that guy's name, but uh, <laughs> he did not do it in time this year. So we're going to be announcing that in our site news, and we're going to be pushing that down to August of this year. Pain Yourself with Submission contest It's just like we do every year on the site. You come in, you submit pictures of games, uh, scans of boxes, information on games, do blog posts, all this stuff earns you points and it's all calculated at the end of the month and whoever comes out on top gets basically a $60 credit 
to use on anywhere you can game shop like GameStop or Amazon or eBay. And you also get an RF Generation Ringer shirt. It's a fun contest, and not only is it beneficial for the winner, but it's also beneficial for all of our members, too, because it just puts more information on our site, and it's just a way to build our database each year. So it's a lot of fun. If you're not a member of RF Generation, uh, log on, join the site, and get in on the contest. It doesn't matter if you're a new member or an old member, you can still win. And then the other thing on the site is we've got our shmup game for July. Uh, our buddy Metal Froze has been on the show a few times. Uh, he's in his second month. We're currently in June playing R-Type. But for July, he has chosen the game Gradius. And so it's another horizontal shooter and uh, should be a lot of fun. Actually, we played it before, right? Didn't we use it in our uh, shmup month that we did one December? Did we play the original Gradius? I know we played Otomedius Excellent, which was the anime girl remake of that yeah, game. Yeah. Well, I remember us playing like four different games, and I felt True. like Gradius was one of them. And then we also played, I believe it might have been like Lightning Force or one of the Thunder Force games as well. Either way, Gradius is amazing. You could play it every month. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <You know>? exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, should we get into pickups for the month? Yeah, this will be very brief for me, though. I can kind of talk about something that we've never talked about on the show, which is trading sites. And Rich, have you ever traded on a trading site in your time as a collector? You know, I have, and I can't remember what the name of the site was because it's been so long ago. Of course, I've traded on our website before. I've never had a lot of luck with trades, and especially at this point in my collection, like having a larger collection. It's hard to find stuff that people want to trade for because you obviously have to give up something of good value to get something else of good value. You know, it's hard to like have like a stack of lesser value games and get something that's, uh, you know, a higher valued item. That's true. And it's definitely true now. But I do kind of pine for the old glory days. There's so many sites that don't exist anymore that in, let's say, 2006, 2007, the games were just flowing in and out of these places. Some people will remember Guzex or 99Gamers or... Yeah, Guzex uh, is what I used. Yeah, yeah, VG5. There were a whole bunch of different ones. But now it's kind of a dying breed, really. There's, From what I know and from my research, there's not that many active good ones out there. But if there are and you're hearing this, please tweet them at me because I'd, I'd love to find one that's actually yeah, good. Here. So I'm on one right now. I don't even really want to name it because I don't want to drive traffic to it or have people think I'm promoting it in any way because it's not a good site. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that brings me to my pickup in a roundabout way. But I just wanted to kind of reminisce a little bit about the good old days. I got so many good games from Guzex, Rich. I, I'm sorry that you didn't have a great experience with them back in the day. Well, but it wasn't bad. Yeah. yeah, I just didn't have a lot of stuff to trade, you know? The other thing is with Depending on the site, it's hard to get a gauge of the, if you're getting it for collector purposes. And of course, back then I was a super hardcore collector. Everything had to be in perfect condition. So yeah. it's not like eBay where you can ask for extra pictures or, 
you just, you know, match up for the game and pray for the best. And um, a lot of times it served me well. But yeah, I did get a lot of crap and damaged stuff. And, you know, there were a lot of trials and tribulations. So but anyway, I'm basically trying to cash out on this crappy site that I'm on. So I got a copy of Titanfall for the Xbox One, (laughs) which is that (laughs) online only multiplayer mech game. So from what I can tell, the servers are still up, but I don't know how many people are actually still online playing this game, but I'm willing to give it a shot. I mean, I didn't want to just blow my credit on garbage or sports games. Just, you know, I wanted to get something that I might at least try to play. So um, that was one of the things that was available. So that's my one pickup for the month. So I'm willing to talk about the pickup that I got from you last month that we alluded to but i didn't want to talk about on the air (laughs) for a specific reason so i had asked you to pick me up some wii stuff because what i was doing is trying to put together a wii for my friend Corey, who made our logo and who i mention all the time because all these shows that i go to and get beers thrown at me he's usually with me (laughs) (laughs) so his birthday is coming up and when I got this Wii off of eBay a couple months ago with a hard drive, like because my Wii I modded just with an SD card, so I wanted one with a hard drive, so I got one with a hard drive. And he said, "Man, I gotta, I gotta just grab one of those. I gotta do that." So, long story short, I basically took the hard drive off this thing I got off eBay, put it on to my Wii pulled the hard drive out of an old laptop that I had and started putting together a Wii for him with the one I got off of eBay. Cool. So I got the Wiimotes, the classic controllers, a loaded SD card, a loaded hard drive. You know, he'll have it by the time this airs. I know he does listen to the show from time to time. So happy birthday, Corey. Hope you're enjoying it. Yeah, man. Happy birthday. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the work, man. If I'd have known the controller was from him, man, I would have just sent it to you for free. <laughs> yeah, man. So I'm very excited to give that to him. So yeah, that was, that was my other pickup. I wasn't ready to talk about it last week, but yeah, thanks for helping me out with that. Very cool, man. Well, just to kind of go back to what you were talking about, about the um, the game swapping sites. Yeah, I think we've seen quite a rise in like social media sites that swap games like, you know, Facebook. There's a lot of like groups that you could join to swap out things. And so I think so many people being involved in social media and and such that these websites have kind of gone by the wayside. You know, I've mentioned one that, that I use all the time and I've never swapped any games out, but there's definitely that sort of vibe where they'll either trade or, you know, let you purchase games from them. So uh, I feel like trading is still an option, but I don't know. I've always felt like with trading, like the other person always wants to get the upper hand as far as value is concerned and doesn't want to trade like value for value. And so there's always some sort of discrepancy. And that's that's kind of the problem I always run into or ran into with anything that I've traded, whether it be video games or, you know, someone wanting to trade like a pinball machine or something like that. It's tough to kind of gauge value. And if you do, you, you really have trouble coming to an agreement about what the value of each of your items is. So I don't know if you've had that problem or not. I've actually grabbed a lot of stuff off of Instagram, like 
mm-hmm. back, especially last year when I was really just wasting a lot of money on games. I'd see something I want. A lot of people create second accounts just for selling their stuff, which yeah. is very useful because then you can, if you like that person and you like their stuff, you could turn on notifications for when they list something. It mm-hmm. becomes very, <laughs> you know, a very... um self-fulfilling prophecy kind of like you almost feel like oh what are they going to put up next and then you like want to grab it even if it's maybe something that's not so perfect for you or the right price it's this weird feedback loop so but yeah instagram for me has been a really good place to to grab stuff all right well going back to last episode we mentioned one of my pickups, or you made kind of a slip of the tongue about one of my pickups uh, for this month, I did finally get a copy of Detroit. And, uh, you know, I, I broke my rule of not buying new games, which, you know, I usually don't do. We talk a lot, and I'm like, eh, I'm just going to wait for that to go into Gamefly sale for under 20 bucks, and then I'll pick it up, right? <laughs> but uh, with Detroit, uh, my wife had gotten me an eBay gift certificate. I think it was for our anniversary. And then also I had one of those 20% coupons, which uh, actually there's one on right now, right? It ends tonight. And uh, Newegg actually has an account on eBay. So Newegg, trustworthy site where I usually get most of my computer parts from. So yeah, um, I just ordered Detroit uh, for under 20 bucks. So I felt like that was a fair price for a new game and I can't wait to dig into that. And I think I'm going to right after the World Cup's over with. (laughs) That is awesome. Well, we have to take notes because we're going to make it a playthrough eventually. Absolutely. And you reminded me, I got to follow up on that eBay coupon because I spent mine on a Burberry polo shirt. And you're going to get another one tonight? Uh, I might need to because the one that they sent me was fake. Um, <laughs> you might have to order it while we're on the air because it ends at 9 p.m. Pacific. <laughs> uh, no, I've learned my lesson. I'm not going to try to get one off eBay. Luckily, it was easy to return and get my money back, but that was a waste of a 20% coupon because, of course, you don't get the coupon back. You just get exactly your money back. So whatever, I I took that money and bought two cheaper polos that looked even more badass. So I guess I'm pretty happy in the end. But um, yeah, lesson learned. Don't buy one of the most counterfeited brands in the world (laughs) off of eBay. eBay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. So um, other pickups I had, I already have a copy of Chaos Field, but I picked another copy up at a good deal that I can use for trade bait. This is a really awesome shmup on the GameCube. So if there's anybody out there looking for a copy, hit me up if I still have it. I picked up a copy of Space Invaders Extreme for the PSP. This was the last PSP game I was looking for. Found it for a few bucks, complete, and in really nice minty shape, so I picked that up. And um, actually had another eBay gift certificate that my wife gave me. Uh, I believe I got this one for Father's Day. And uh, I picked up a copy of Skeleton Crew for the Genesis. Do you know anything about this game? Oh man, it really rings a bell, but I can't picture it in my mind's eye. What kind of game is it? It's like an isometric shooter game where you're just going through these different levels and uh, your character sort of turns on a turret. It's good. The Genesis controller is kind of good for that turret turning because you can use the A to go one way and C to go another to balance yourself out and then use the B button in the middle to shoot with. But um, yeah, it, it's not one of the best, not one of the easiest to control. 
There's another game called Caliber 50 that I picked up last year on the Genesis, and uh, it, it does a little bit better job with that turret system. But still, it's a cool game. It's one that's um, fairly tough to find, and if you see it around at a cheap price, pick it up because box copies have been going for over a hundred bucks, and uh, you know, loose copies much, much less. And with this game, it's one of those paper boxes and not a clamshell, so I don't really care about having the box that much, so I just bought a loose copy of the game. I also picked up locally a copy of Nano Assault for the 3DS. This is just a little 3D shooter game where you're in a small ship fighting viruses. Think of, uh, you remember the movie Inner Space from the 80s? Sure. Yeah, so think of that. I watched some reviews on it. Classic Game Room did a review, and um, this is one I had picked up at one time I was at the store, and I just kind of put it down. I was like, well, it looks like a shooter. It might be cool. But, you know, I don't know enough about it, so I'm just going to hold off. And I uh, watched a review on Classic Game Room, and they gave it some, you know, rave reviews. So I was like, yeah, I'll grab it. And it was pretty cheap. Also grabbed a copy of Ghost Hunter on PS2. I told you this was like one of three games I was still looking for for the PS2. And it just happened to be at my favorite store that I like to go in and get my best deals. And, um, you know, probably got it for about a fourth of what it typically goes for online. It's crazy. But, uh, yeah, really, really nice complete in-box copy of that game. Also picked up a copy of R-Type for the Game Boy. This is a game I've been looking for for years. It's um, fairly common to find R-Type DX, which is for the Game Boy Color, but to find just a regular copy of R-Type is a lot tougher, and I found that when I was out of town. And so I got that. I picked up a copy of Cyber Tiger for the PS1, which is a game that we had talked about maybe playing in our December golf event. I picked up a copy of Fighting Force for the PS1, which is, from what I heard, a continuation of the Streets of Rage series, but it is a 3D fighting game, so much different than Streets of Rage. You'll be happy about this next pick, Sean, and I know you've already seen it on Instagram, but uh, I got a copy of Ghost Recon for the Wii. Excellent. What a game. Yeah, it looks pretty cool, and after reading your review, and you know, my wife and I love playing like House of the Dead games together, so I thought this would be a good one for us to play together, so I definitely picked that up. While I was also out of town, I ran across a bunch of five-screw games, which I told you I was, you know, kind of swapping my three-screw games out for five-screws for the Black Box series, and I grabbed a copy of Hogan's Alley, Rad Racer, and Tennis for the NES and then last two games here, this next game I had seen in a store probably about three months ago when I was out of town, and I came back home and I realized the reason I didn't pick it up was because I thought, this isn't the one I need, I thought it was the one that I already had. And so I came back home, and I was like, dang man, I hope that game's still there when I go back. Well, I kind of had this feeling that it would be, because <laughs> the price is a little high for a Vita game. And not a lot of people are collecting Vitas, and especially in that area. And I grabbed the copy of Yomawari Night Alone, which was the first game made for the Vita. And uh, I was really pumped to get it. Even though I said like it was a higher price, it was like 30 bucks. But this game is actually going for much, much more than that. So I was really, really stoked to pick up that for my Vita. And uh, I already had the second game, which I believe you have too, right? Yeah, that's right. I wish I'd have grabbed the first one when it was a little bit cheaper, but I just never picked it up. So, looks like a cool game, man. It's something that, you know, maybe we could look into it playing around Halloween time one year. And then um, the final game that I picked up while I was out of town was a game that I saw in the store. And it's a game that was on my wish list, but 
for whatever reason, I wasn't actively searching for it, even wasn't searching for it that day in, in my list of a few games that I was looking for specifically. There was a copy of Mega Man X3 in this game case, and I was looking at some other games in that case, and I just told the guys, hey man, what price you got on that? Because they keep their prices on the bottom of the carts, and they just kind of stack them up, which is very irritating to me when I'm game shopping. But at the same time, he opened it up, and he showed me, and he flipped over the price, and I was like, whoa, dude, that's like half of what this game goes for. I didn't say that out loud. Yeah. All I said was, oh man, that's a really good price on that game. I was like, <laughs> why don't you go ahead and take it behind the counter? Let me think about that for a little bit. So so yeah, man, I ended up buying Mega Man X3. So now I have X1 through X3. And now all I need for the Super Nintendo to complete that subset is uh, Mega Man 7. And that's it, man. That was my big pickup. Very cool. Two things I want to mention real quick is that there's actually coming out a Switch collection of the Yomawari both games, uh, Night Alone and Midnight Shadows. So maybe I'll be able to get that if I can't get my hands on the, the original game on the Vita. The other thing I wanted to mention is Ghost Hunter is a game that I was looking for forever myself, and I grabbed my copy years ago, but I felt like it was a game that I really, really wanted, and it was just so elusive for so long. Even back when I got it, it wasn't expensive. I think it was like a $15 game. I was just, you know, it was one of those things where I've it's out there, and I just got to find the right time to pull a trigger on a nice copy on eBay. I didn't realize the prices kind of shot up a bit, so... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the prices of PlayStation 2 games are fluctuating under my nose, and I don't even realize like a lot of games that used to be pretty valuable are, are not anymore. And then there's games yeah. that I'm very surprised to see have kind of shot up in value. So, well, this store that I've been going to, man, their game pricing is phenomenal. I mean, it's the same place where I got the uh, Castlevania Legends for the Game Boy for, you know, super cheap. Oh, right. So if you've got a list of PS2 stuff, and I know you do somewhere, it's just it's hard for me to get my hands on quickly. I can put it into like a notes app and, you know, I'd be glad to look for some of the games that uh, you're interested in because I know that's your favorite system. And, you know, if, if I can help you out in any way, I'm happy to do that. Awesome, man. Well, the, it, <laughs> it's rare to think of things that I don't yet have on the PS2. Honestly, I yeah. know that sounds like... I don't know, snobbery, but I've been collecting for the system. It's been my favorite system for like 10 years, so it is what it is. But I, I definitely need to just take a look. And there's a game that you're looking for that I have that I'm thinking of. Ooh, I don't know. It's one of my favorite games, so I'm not sure if I want to offer it to you. I don't want to tease you, but... <laughs> <laughs> but I'd love to <laughs> love to hook you up with a copy of this game, but maybe for a future episode... So anyway, well, it it can only be one of two if it's for the PS2. That's true. It's only two I'm looking for. Samurai Western or Klonoa Two are the only two that I've kind of got on my actively searching for list. I'm not saying those are the only two PS2 games I'll ever buy. Uh, if I see something that's interesting enough to me, you know, I might pick it up. But those are the two that you know I'm still actively looking for. Right. So sadly, I already messaged you this that I had a copy of Samurai Western and I sold it on eBay a few yeah. weeks back and a. It's a shame because I could have sworn that I send you everything before I put it on eBay, like I, you like I screen did. it with you. <laughs> but uh, Klonoa too, I'm you know I might be willing to part with my copy of it. We'll just have to talk about it. I'm not sure though. It is one of my favorite games, and it looks very nice and colorful on the shelf. So uh, I don't know. Nah, you keep that, man. <laughs> keep looking for it, but I'll I'll look and see if I can find you uh, a good copy. We'll we'll make sure to get that game for you. 
Yeah, we'll find it soon enough. No worries. Word. All right. So, what have we been playing? I, I mean, I literally have nothing. I finished Beyond Two Souls a couple of days ago, and I haven't started Doom yet. So, I haven't been playing anything. Just reading a lot. So, yeah. Same with you. World Cup and and life <laughs> and Beyond Two Souls. Yeah, well, you got to keep this in perspective, too. We jumped on a late recording for Rhapsody, so we just finished recording Rhapsody, I would say, what, about two weeks ago? That's true, yes. Even a lot of my pickups were stuff that I already had, but I hadn't put, like, on Instagram or social media yet, so a lot of my pickups were even carryovers from last time, so um, we haven't had a lot of time in between, and so... We're getting a little bit earlier jump on this one to kind of get back into the swing of things as summer's going around. But I was able to play two games. I did jump on the RF Generation Schmup game for June and played a little bit of R-Type. What I did was I played on the PlayStation 1, which is in the R-Types collection, which includes R-Type and R-Type 2. It's a really fantastic port of that game, and uh, I've been having a blast with it. My kids like to watch me play it, but then... They'll watch for a little while and then they'll just walk in another room because they get bored because I'm not really going anywhere fast, you know, because I'm having to do like kind of the stage memorization as I'm going through each time. So I'm dying a lot. And so that's kind of boring to them and they don't like the whole tediousness of it. And they think that I suck at this game. So (laughs) (laughs) They're hard games, though. So that's fair. Yeah, most shmups are really hard, but... um, I probably put in anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half on it, and uh, I was talking to Metal Fro, who runs it, and I was, you know, posting on the thread on the forum, and I was like, well, I made it to stage four in that time, and he was like, really? That's really good if this is the first time you've played this game. I mean, I probably picked it up and put it down, you know, over the years, and, you know, played different variations of R-Type. We played R-Type Final, actually, in our shmup month. I do remember playing that one. But yeah, I think it's got some similar mechanics to R-Type Final, and you know, I was able to kind of figure out things using that and was able to get to stage four in that small amount of time I was playing, but I'm a big shmup fan. I buy mostly shmups for every system that I have and try to get them all. But yeah, it's a really, really fun game, and I'm I'm really enjoying it a lot. So uh, definitely going to put in some time on uh, Gradius next month as well, maybe even a little Gradius too for the Famicom. But uh, the other game I've been playing is, I mentioned getting these five-screw games for my Nintendo. But before I swap out my three-screw carts, I clean the five-screw carts, and I test them out to make sure they're working. Well, I was having a little bit of trouble getting my tennis to work, and I finally got the five-screw version to work. And as I was testing it, I got sucked into playing it for about an hour or so. (laughs) And so, uh, yeah, played some Nintendo tennis. I don't think I've ever put that much time into that game. Even as a young person, tennis wouldn't have been a game that was high on my priority rental list, if you know what I mean. And so, um, yeah, it's kind of a neat game. It's one of those where you actually play full sets of tennis. So it's kind of a grind. After you beat one opponent, you start playing another opponent, and it gets more difficult and difficult with each opponent that you beat. I beat the first opponent, got to the second one, and was doing pretty well before I just decided to cut it off because I had dad obligations to take care of. Right. (laughs) So, yeah, neat game. Had some fun with it, and, you know, definitely one I would play again. It's definitely a huge step up from... uh, the tennis that you would play on the Atari, whether it be like Activision or 
what was called tennis on the Atari was basically Pong at the time. That's true. I've I've heard Super Tennis on the Super NES is a very good game, too. Do you know about that one? I do not. I haven't played that one. Okay, we'll have to take a look at it sometime. I have it because I read on some article on the internet some years ago that it was one of the best Super NES games. So I was like, okay, it's a $2 game at the time, so I picked it up. Yeah, I'll have to definitely check that out, man. And who knows, you know, I know we're doing a golf tournament this December. Who knows, man? We may have like a mini RF Generation Wimbledon at some point, you know? Hell yeah. Oh, there's so many good tennis games out there, too. Yeah. Awesome. So, Sean, I wanted to start our game talk this month by posing a question to you. If you could pick any celebrity to hang out with for an evening, who would it be? All right, man. So this is <laughs> this is a weird question, man, because I saw it in the notes. Yeah, you've been prepped for it. So this isn't like something I'm just throwing on you that you accuse me of all the time. Right, right. But the, the other part of that is that I was prepped only in a sense that it was in the notes and that you said, just come up with something and we'll discuss it on the air. I don't want to say why. So I actually don't know why you're asking this question. I'm very intrigued. So I thought about it a lot. Oh, who would it be? Like, what would be really a smart answer? What would be a really deep answer? Like, who could I, could I name drop some obscure celebrity that nobody knows about to sound cool? Or should I say, like, right. um, I don't know. There's so many, like, political, philosophical people, but I don't want to, that, that might not be a celebrity to some people. And Yeah, don't say some bullshit like Albert Einstein. Right, nobody right. wants to hear that. So I'm going to go all out with one of the biggest celebrities in the world, somebody who I've been a big fan of for his entire career, and I would love to hang out and paint the town red with Kanye West. Really? Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. freaking lutely <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> would you let Kim tag along? Uh, sure, why not? I, <laughs> I mean, that would kind of make me a third wheel, so it would be a little, a little weird, but I mean, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> what would you talk to Kanye about? I'm just curious, like, what would be the, uh, the conversation? I mean, what would you guys do? I mean, would you guys just... Like sip some brews or, uh, you know, just get all philosophical. I feel like he's the kind of guy who you could really talk to and we could talk about his music. I mean, I love all of his music and uh-huh. it would be cool to learn more about his history. I mean, his personal history is pretty public. Like most people who are fans of him know most of what's out there about his life. But 
you know, maybe we could reminisce about what it was like coming up and producing for Jay-Z and and we could definitely talk about what's going on currently with him and his whatever you want to call it, that whether it's a publicity stunt or whether it's really in his heart what he's feeling as he goes through his mm-hmm. life and is, is having these like controversial social media and political interactions with people. I think it's very cool and fascinating and amazing. And as a fan of him... I've seen him throughout his whole career have these wild ups and downs. He's done very smart things. He's done very stupid things. But I'm going to tell you, I've been a fan of him the whole time. And I see him as like a stock on the stock market where he has his ups and downs. But overall, he's up. You know what I mean? Like over the entire course of his career, if you zoom out, it's just on a constant rise. So, yeah. Very cool, man. Good pick. Thanks. And I guess, you know, you're curious is like, why did I ask this question? Yeah. And specifically, why did I put this into game talk when we're getting ready to start talking about Beyond Two Souls? For people that know Beyond Two Souls, you know that one of the things that it's famous for is having mocap characters of Hollywood celebrities actually in the game. You got Ellen Page and you got Willem Dafoe. Well, years ago... My wife and I had this conversation and we were just, you know, probably drinking. These conversations usually follow with drinking, you know, with us and friends. And we're like, if you could hang out with anyone and maybe just go out, like you said, paint the town red, go out drinking with, who would it be? And so you run through all these names and and like you, you know, you're kind of taken aback. You're like, oh, man, like who in the world would I want to do that with? A, who would be intellectually stimulating, Mm -hmm. right? And then B, who would be fun and show you a really good time? And so at that time, I thought about it, and I had just finished watching this show. Do you know who John Lurie is? I know you're a movie guy, too. He was in, like, Stranger Than Paradise. He's in a lot of Jim Jarmusch films. You're probably familiar with a lot of those, I'm not, actually. I'm not. All these things you're mentioning, none of them actually ring a bell. Okay. Down by Law, he was in that with Tom Waits, which is another Jim Jarmusch film. Anyway, Criterion Collection put out episodes of this show called Fishing with John. And what it is, is John Lurie taking people out fishing. And he takes like Dennis Hopper out and, you know, they're like recording just them going fishing and bullshitting. And it's really funny as hell. You know, it's meant to be sort of like a documentary, but at the same time, it's just really goofy, you know. But he does one with Willem Dafoe, man. (laughs) And it is literally one of the funniest damn things I've ever seen. They're ice fishing and there's this like whole story behind them that's created that they like basically are out there and they're like kind of trapped and can't get out of their situation and all they have to eat are like cheese crackers and they're like dying of cold. It's hilarious, man. You just got to check it out. Check out the episode Fishing with John with Willem Dafoe. But to kind of get back to my point, I just came to this revelation. I was like, man, Willem Dafoe, that's the dude I want (laughs) to hang out with. I mean, can you imagine being on the town with Willem Dafoe? It would be awesome. Yeah. I mean, I've never seen him like behind the scenes except for the features on the uh, Beyond Two Souls game. So I don't know. I've never seen him interviewed or anything. So I don't know too much about him. But uh, hey, me, you, Kanye, and Willem out in downtown Austin. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like a recipe for disaster. Oh, man. That would be awesome. (laughs) 
So I had to bring that up, man, because I'm sitting here playing this game and I'm looking at Willem Dafoe's character in this game. And I'm like, all I can think about is I want to party with that dude. <laughs> you know? That's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. So that was a, a really cool thing about being able to play this game this month. All right. So beyond two souls, our participants this month include the two of us, Crabmaster2000, who put some incredible notes on the thread. Yeah. And uh, we'll be talking about some of his quotes as we go through this podcast. Engineer Mike played with us as well. Dougly007, of course. And then our buddy from down under, Raydu, played with us this month. So a little bit smaller group, but some good discussion on the page. And another great game by our friends at Quantic Dream. Just to get into a few of the stats with Beyond Two Souls, this is an interactive drama action adventure game. As I mentioned, it was developed by Quantic Dream and published by Sony Interactive Entertainment. And it was written and directed by David Cage, who wrote and directed the other games we played, Heavy Rain and Indigo Prophecy. It is an exclusive game to the Sony library. It appears on the PS3 and PS4 in a compilation with Heavy Rain as part of the Quantic Dream Collection. It was released on October 8, 2013, and actually premiered at the 2013 Tribeca Film Festival. And this is only the second time that that has ever happened up to that point. L.A. Noir in 2011 was actually the first game that appeared at the Tribeca Film Festival. And I was looking on their website, and actually I think Tribeca now has a sort of video game segment to their festival. So it's kind of separate on its own now. And uh, I think kind of the way video games are going now and becoming more interactive and movie-like and real, I think that's kind of a cool idea. That is cool, and it definitely makes sense, and it's cool to kind of see that progression happening as a part of media. Now, you could argue, hey, it's a film festival, the video games have their own things. I'm okay with that argument, and it's worth a discussion, but I also see, like, here in Austin, there's all kinds of festivals, and there's a noticeable increase in the presence of video games at things like South by Southwest, so... To me, that's a good thing. So that's pretty cool to see as the years go on. Yeah, and think about it. When you go to a game convention, you're not just there to buy or play video games. I mean, there's artwork, there's other things, hardware and stuff like that to supplement video games, toys or records or plushes or anything like that. There's always something that's kind of somewhat related, but maybe just a part of that sort of geek culture community that, you know, we're all involved in. Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to touch on a couple things with this game. Around the time before the game release, the first one's a minor controversy, and the second one is a little bit more serious. But the minor controversy involves Ellen Page doing a Reddit AMA where she was asked about the character Ellie in The Last of Us, who in the pre-release materials for The Last of Us really looked like Ellen Page. And um, she said in a Reddit AMA at the time, quote, I guess I should be flattered that they ripped off my likeness, but I am actually acting in a video game called Beyond Two Souls. So it was not appreciated. So, yeah, so that created a minor kerfuffle. But 
in the end, what, what they ended up doing was the developers of The Last of Us really changed the character model to make it look more like the actress who played Ellie, which was Ashley Johnson. And in the finished product, to me, she doesn't look too much like Ellen Page. And then there's a tweet from Ellen Page from way back then in 2013 where um, somebody mistakenly tweeted at Ellen Page like, hey, nice job in The Last of Us. And she said, no, it wasn't me. Ashley Johnson played the part, so send her the props. So it seems like it's all water under the bridge, very minor controversy. Um, But I remember it at the time. It was very interesting. I promise you, I swear this is true that when I first saw Last of Us promotional materials, as many of us probably did, we said, oh, is that Ellen Page? <laughs> like, it really did look <laughs> like her. Now, the other one, as I said, this was a little bit more serious at the time. So Ellen Page's character in, in Beyond Two Souls, as with uh, <laughs> many of the female leads in David Cage games, has a shower scene where in the game you don't see any part of the character model's body besides from above the shoulders, or let's just say no sensitive parts of her body are shown. Yeah. It's like watching someone shower on like a Zest commercial. Exactly. Yeah, that's a, that's a very polite way to put it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, but as it turns out, somebody discovered that in a debug mode where you can move around the camera that... There was actually like a fully rendered, like a nude female character model for the main character of Jody. Oh, wow. And this became a controversy because Ellen Page did not consent to that. And it was not her body. Her yeah. body was not mapped for the character model or anything. It was just something, it was an asset that was created by Quantic Dream. So <laughs> that was not a good time for Ellen Page, obviously. And, um, as it turns out, it was revealed via a WikiLeaks hack of Sony's emails that she was threatening to sue them over it. Whether I can't remember whether she was going to sue Sony or Quantic Dream or whatever, however that would work. But at the time, she was considering legal action. But I believe nothing came of it. But it was kind of a just a crappy situation, you know, that yeah. that came out. You know, and we'll talk about the game. I think both of us will end up with positivity about the game so it's just a shame that that's one of the things that it'll be remembered for so yeah yeah i guess so i mean myself like playing it now if you hadn't mentioned that it's not something that i would have bothered to look up or you know found out about the game and in doing research of this game i don't remember coming across anything like that of course i typically don't do any heavy research you know most of the research that you and I do is basically for stats as far as like when it was made who who made it released it and then we might do a little bit with the music and sound just to be able to put the names out there the people that did the music and sound so um I didn't go into any in-depth research for this but uh yeah, thanks for that, Sean. Now I can never think about anything else when I think of this game. Well, yeah, now I'm thinking it's good because I, I remember <laughs> it from when it happened. I didn't pick it up in my playing the game, obviously, or researching it for the yeah. show. So maybe I'm doing a disservice by reminding everybody of it. But <laughs> I figured for the sake of completeness, it's part of the story of this this game and it being in the real world. So. Yeah, the existence of this game in the real world. Yes, and part of its history, yeah. All right, right, so uh, I want to talk a little bit about the gameplay. I know we typically start off with the story and characters and then get to the gameplay next because... 
gameplay typically takes up the bulk of our discussion, but I kind of feel like story might take up the majority of our discussion this time. Yeah, I agree. When you said gameplay, I was going to be smarmy and say, what gameplay? (laughs) Exactly right. I I knew we might get that. And we'll probably get that from some of our listeners as well. But um, your player control consists of playing Ellen Page's character, Jody as a teenager, adult, even as a child. And then you also control this sort of supernatural being that is linked to you named Aiden. The game has, as do all Quantic Dream games, quick time events. And these quick time events include like decision making. As usual, you know, do you, are you nice or are you mean to a person? You know, or do you just avoid that person? It involves interacting with the environment through QTEs and then also combat, which is something that's sort of, I would say, sort of newer to this game. There's a little bit of combat in the Heavy Rain series, but I feel like it's a lot different in this game, right? Yeah, totally. To the point where there's actually a tutorial in the game on how to do the combat, which includes hand-to-hand combat and cover shooting. Yeah, and uh, it's a little different because I think I feel like a lot of the combat or kind of the struggling or interaction in Heavy Rain was a lot of like button mashing or you know stick pushing, but you were given prompts to do that. But in this game, the combat's a lot different in that you go through a tutorial and you have to move your thumbstick in the direction or the opposite direction if you want to like block or counterattack or attack someone and uh, you don't get any prompt for that you just kind of have to move it in the direction that you're facing and so i kind of wanted to know like how you felt about that type of control here's the thing though you <laughs> you told me before we started playing the game that i should play it on normal difficulty which I probably should have, but I played it on easy difficulty for one key reason, and that's because I wanted complete control over the events of the game and how I played it, and I didn't want to mess something up and get stuck with a result that I didn't want, like Uh solely for the purposes of being able to talk about on the show. However, I really didn't have to do it that way because there were a few times where I literally powered off the PlayStation 4 all the way just to make sure that it wouldn't save some mistake that I made. In this game, you never know when it's going to save. And if you see that little bubble icon on the bottom of the screen, it's like, oh, shit, don't save, no. (laughs) So uh, if something bad happened, I would like freaking power off the the PlayStation 4. So anyway, to get to the point of this long story, when you play on easy... It gives you like kind of guiding arrows. So you lose the Uh, challenge of the guessing game of which direction you're supposed to press the thumbsticks. Yeah, and I will say it's not so much of a guessing game, but I feel like a lot of times it's a little bit disorienting and where you think you should push your thumbstick doesn't always match up with what they want you to do. I found that quite a bit irritating because I feel like if I feel like I'm doing something correctly and it's... Let's say like someone was trying to kick at me and I pushed the stick down to block that kick. Instead of doing that, it would show that I got hit. Whereas what it was wanting me to do is to punch forward before that person kicked me. And so it kind of gave me these sort of mixed messages. And I didn't really like that. And it made me feel a bit uncomfortable that the controls that I was supposed to input 
weren't working the way they were supposed to, or at least I didn't feel that way. You know, this is something I brought up on the threads, and I wanted to read a quote by one of our members, and you'll be hearing from him a lot in the show, Crabmaster, who loves these games just like we do. And uh, he's put, It would feel weird to me if I didn't come out of that combat situation with some cuts and bruises because I'm not Master Chief or the hero of Hyrule. I'm a young girl with very little combat training who's been able to rely on her attachment to Aiden to solve problems more than her own body in many situations. And what he means is that a part of the game is sort of getting kicked around a little bit and not be like this huge badass in every fight. I understand what he's saying, but I feel like if you're inputting the correct controls and you're doing it like you're supposed to, then it should be responsive in that way. It's sort of like the choices you get in the game. And I think, I don't remember that you mentioned this or someone else, but when you try to be like overly negative toward a person in the controls, sometimes it just comes off as like sarcastic and not as mean or forceful as your choice indicates. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's kind of the argument of like the horse from Shadow of Colossus where it depends on how you're feeling those controls within the context of the game. And you can argue that the horse should not do exactly everything you control him to do via your inputs, Mm -hmm. because that's not how a real horse would react. So I think that's kind of what Krabby was saying. But you're saying the game should operate more like a car. Like if I'm going to press this button, the character should move the way that I'm controlling her. I think I kind of fall into the middle. Now, we'll get into, I played the game chronologically. So she does get her training pretty early on in the game. And they say she trains for three years, I think. So, Yeah. And she's a pretty badass, man, in these fights and stuff. I mean, like fighting like four guys at one time. Yeah. You know, one with a baseball bat and one had a knife or something like that. So, I mean, she is a badass. I don't want to sell her short saying like, oh, she's some weak, frail girl. She is not. Right. You know, she's combat trained. I mean, she's a killer, you know. Kind of like go with what you were saying. Last Guardian is a game where I felt like, okay, this is a beast. It's going to be random, you know, and I didn't mind the controls on that. However, I'm playing a human being who is rational, smart, and I feel like in a combat situation, I should have total authority over that. If I'm putting in the right inputs, I should be able to control it and be perfect with my movements or my actions especially if there are things like achievements and things like that on the line. And I'm not the kind of person that cares about achievements, but a part of me is sort of a perfectionist. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I I like to do things well. And I do get disappointed when I feel like an input doesn't work the way it should. So that's just my two cents on that. I'm not saying I'm right and Krabby's wrong. He definitely makes a good point. And he had even mentioned something like with the environment, there's one part of the game where you're running through the woods And you're running through it at night, and you're getting hit by these limbs and logs. And I was getting upset about that. I was like, man, I keep getting hit by these environmental things. And he's like, well, dude, you're running through the woods at night. And I'm kind of like, yeah, you're kind of right about that. You shouldn't always be able to dodge. But at the same time, I kind of feel like, well, this is a game where I have the ability to dodge or jump over something. I should be able to do it if I put in the correct input or what I feel like is the right input. Very good. Very interesting conversation. I love it. Again, you know, we, we have some great comments on the thread. I always love it when someone doesn't agree with me. I mean, Kelsey and I both love this game, but we just kind of have different feelings about it. And I totally understand where he's coming from. The other thing is we were talking about Jody's controls 
but I wanted to get a little bit into Aiden's controls. And I thought this was really, really neat, and I kind of wanted to get your perspective on this, because it's like you're controlling two characters at the same time. Yeah, it's very cool. So Aiden is this like entity that follows Jody everywhere, and he has special powers that you can use, but the way he controls is you hit the triangle button and then you take control of him, like you're out of Jody and into him yeah. from a perspective standpoint. And most of the time you can't move around freely, but you move the camera and you see these orange orbs that you can travel to and then kind of look around. And then he also has uh, this kind of like a slingshot, I would call it, like a rubber band snapping <laughs> uh, power yeah, yeah. that you can use to, you, so you pull down both thumbsticks and then let them go like you were snapping a rubber band. And that's a way to disrupt the environment and smash TVs and smash cameras and mess with people. And you can really only interact with certain things, right? I mean, it, it's the things that have the dot on it. I know in, you'd mentioned orange, but I know in the PlayStation 3 version, at least, it was like a, a blue dot. You actually have to press L1 first to actually focus on that dot. And then you grab your thumbsticks, and that's where you do like your rubber band thing, whether it be pulling them down and releasing. Or sometimes when you interact with other characters, you have to push them together or manipulate the thumbsticks in a certain way, right? That's right. Uh, now, the orange orbs, I don't know if maybe this was a feature of playing the game on easy. When you played, were you able to move Aiden around freely around the environment? Or did you have to go from point to point? I was able to move him freely around the environment, and so the controls were a little wonky. Sometimes I would get stuck behind walls and things like that, but there's this little purple trail that follows you. Yeah. It's sort of like a little like umbilical cord that attaches you to Jody, and uh, we'll talk about that a little more in a while, yeah. but uh, it kind of follows you around, so you can move freely, but sometimes, you know, you can't go outside of certain environments. You're kind of encased, you know, within a certain area, but you do get to move freely and uh, interact with any items that are anywhere in the environment that it allows you to work with. So, yeah, I think we are maybe talking about a difference in the different modes that we played the game in. Yeah, totally. Very interesting. Um so one of the things I liked the most about Aiden was when you could mind control other characters. And I kind of feel that this was not used as much as I would have liked to have seen in the game. Like my favorite parts mm -hmm. of the game, there's one very awesome scene where you take control of the character Cole to sneak out of the compound. And there are other scenes where you can use Aiden to dispatch enemies by taking them over and making them kill each other and then making them kill themselves. Yeah. Those were some of my favorite parts of the game. And I just have to mention there's a game out there for anybody who also likes this kind of thing. It's called PsyOps, the Mindgate Conspiracy on the PlayStation 2 and I believe the original Xbox where the main gimmick of the game is that you can do these kinds of things to anybody throughout the entire game. So I would recommend that if you like this kind of thing. But back to Beyond Two Souls, I thought that was one of the coolest parts of the game. Uh, what did you think about that part of it, Rich? I thought it was cool, but I'll be honest, I was quite disturbed by some of it, like taking control of uh, some of the soldiers, yeah. you know, when you would go to different points in the game. And then you just 
turning around and it says press R1 and then you just like pop them off like right in the head. Um, Man, it was, I don't know. I I feel like I hesitated a lot of times and I don't know what would have happened had I not shot them. I don't know if I could have progressed in the game or if it would have let me do that. You know, I just really don't know how this game operates. And one of the funny things and, and something I had to talk about about this game is that Unfortunately, maybe for better or for worse, when I'm playing a David Cage game, I'm one of these guys who plays and I'm like, if I see it, I'm probably going to press it. Do you know what Absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like in these games, you do sort of have a choice. And a lot of times, especially with dialogue, you can wait and it can pass by and it will automatically choose an option for you. But I feel like... When I'm playing these and I like see R1 pop up, I'm like, oh, I'm going to press this. And like, bam, I just capped somebody. And I'm like, whoa, what did I just do? You know, I mean, I was, I don't want to say put off because I wasn't put off because I I know I'm playing a video game. But uh, I was a little taken aback by uh, some of the violence in the game. It was, uh, it was pretty brutal. I mean, I can't argue with that. That's an interesting reaction. Maybe I can't remember how I reacted to it the first time I played it. But this time I knew it was coming, so maybe the shock factor wasn't there for me. Uh, But that's interesting to hear, for sure. Well, I gotta know, man. I gotta know how you played Aiden in this game, because with both characters, I feel like even with Jody, you can play her a different way. I mean, you could be just really standoffish or cold toward everyone. And as Aiden, you can play as the beloved spirit, you know, that watches over Jody. Or you can also play as sort of a troublemaker, right? Yeah, you can be a real, you can be a real terrorist. You can be like a poltergeist kind of thing. Um, yeah, I do want to say too, real quick before I forget, when we played Heavy Rain, I did like a funny, like put the controller down, like total fail run of that game, and I got like all the worst endings, and it was really fun and funny. But in this game, I felt strangely compelled to not do that. And I don't know if it's because of the fandom of Ellen Page and like just wanting to see her succeed as a character who was really put upon for the entire game. You know what I mean? Like they really evoke sympathy for her for sure. And so I just wanted to know before I forgot to say it that. I don't know a lot of the fail states of this game because I wasn't purposely trying to find them this time. And I thought that was kind of interesting because I was willing in heavy rain to just totally trash a playthrough of the game just to see all the sad and weird things that would happen to the characters or killing them. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's kind of kind of interesting. But um, as far as playing as Jody and Aiden and, and my role playing, so to speak, so this time around, I played Jody as straight and mostly polite and nice to the people around her. But as for Aiden, I played him as the terrorizing poltergeist, and <laughs> I messed up everything I could find, and I choked every person that I could choke. And <laughs> it did too, man. <laughs> I even choked that poor woman in the, the psych room, that poor innocent oh, yeah. woman. I just I choked the hell out I of her. I saw that yeah. you commented that. I actually didn't choke her because I didn't realize you could. I must have missed that prompt, but yeah, I screwed up. I, I was throwing shit at her and really messing up that room and terrorizing her. But I didn't choke her because I didn't know you could. I would have, though. <laughs> God. 
I can only imagine what someone's thinking that, like, fast forward to, like, the middle of this podcast and we're talking about choking some woman, right? Yeah, no, this isn't true crime. We're talking about video games here. <laughs> but it's interesting, you know, like, and the reason I bring this up, because, you know, usually when I play these games, I mean, you know how I am. I'm, like, Mr. Nice Guy. I play these games so nice and, like, what would I do in this situation? Oh, I could never do that. I mean, you know that about me. I don't look at these games as role-playing games. I feel like these games, for me, end up becoming reflections of myself. Right. And so with Aiden, I felt different. And I think it's because I wasn't playing a human and I was because I was playing a ghost. And I don't want to spoil it right now. I don't want to talk about the relationship between Aiden and Jody. But I didn't know what that relationship was. And for that reason... I just kind of went nuts. Like, I'm this vengeful asshole spirit. You know, I, I wanted to play that route. Yeah. That is what I chose. And I stuck with it through the whole playthrough. No matter what it was, my personality as I never wavered, you know? That's awesome. And it's just interesting. It's interesting <laughs> that I did that for this specific playthrough because that's so out of character for me. So the only thing I can think of is, again, I wasn't playing as a human. You know, I was playing as a spirit and just kind of felt like he might be a little pissed off. Yeah. No, I'm I'm with you, Rich, and I'm a lot like you. If I'm playing a game, any game, whether it's Infamous or Mass Effect or any of these games where it's like, you could be the good guy or the bad guy. And it's like, no, I'll be the good guy. I'll be the hero. You know, this video games are mostly a hero fantasy, so I'll be a good guy. I'll save the world, save the universe, save whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I find it very hard to be an evil character unless that's the the point of the game you know what i mean so given the option it's interesting that both of us went for the the more evil quote-unquote actions in this playthrough so that's kind of cool yeah absolutely so i did want to talk and this is something we always speak about when we talk about david cage games this idea of when you're playing these games, it's almost like you're creating your own motion picture, right? You're involved in it. You're watching a movie because you're playing with real actors and actresses. And it almost feels like you're the director of this film as opposed to when you play other games, you're either trying to win or you're trying to survive. So... David Cage had this really great quote that I wanted to share from November 2014. And this is regarding some of the negative reviews that sort of surrounded this game Beyond Two Souls. Now, you got to understand that Indigo Prophecy and Heavy Rain had already been out there. And so a lot of the people that are going to knock Beyond Two Souls are going to knock it for the same reason that they knocked the other two. And mainly these negative reviews were coming from these quote-unquote hardcore gamers, and he felt the need to respond to that. And he says, There will always be games for the hardcore gamers who see games as a skill-based sport or as a way to compete with their friends. He then referred to casual gamers who play games as, quote, a mere hobby like many titles for smartphones. And then stated, We tried to develop a middle way with games and try to tell a story to carry meaning and where violence isn't the core activity. Most of all, we tried to create an emotion to make players live something strong and unique, which remains an ambitious challenge in a video game. I mean, I kind of agree with him. I know he's, you know, David Cage is a very egotistical dude, and we've talked about it before, his controversies and controversial opinions, but 
I've always been very much of this kind of philosophy that video games as a medium are not a zero-sum game, and it's a big, bad world out there, and there are, you know, millions of people in the world, and they are pleased by many, many different things, and... Thank God there are game developers out there who can create games like Beyond Two Souls or create games like, I don't know, Shadow of Destiny or some other weird ass game that we're going to play. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So this constant age old debate between quote unquote hardcore gamers and quote unquote casual gamers or anything else. I don't know. I'm not going to say, oh, it's getting on my nerves. It's got to stop. It's not like that. It's just like. Why? It's like the video games as art thing. It's not a discussion anymore. Like, I don't know. I feel like I'm ranting a little here. I don't want to be super snobby or standoffish here. But yeah, what do you think about this? I'm kind of on the fence in both ways. And I want to say first, like, I don't know anything about David Cage. I don't know anything about him being egotistical or arrogant or anything like that. So you saying that's new to me, right? I treat it like I do most forms of art. And whether it be artwork that's up on the wall or music or anything like that, I kind of separate the artist from the art. And I, I don't look at things as a reflection of that artist because I'm not always going to agree with like the political or social opinions of every artist that I enjoy listening to. Or I'm not going to agree with every opinion of every person's movie that I go see. And in that sense, I, I kind of look at David Cage in the same way. I really don't know anything about him, but it wouldn't matter really if I did. And so I guess the point I'm trying to get to in saying that is that I feel like there's something out there for everyone. And a game like this is appealing to me because I love film. I love art. And I like to have something like this every once in a while to just kind of sit back and enjoy something that doesn't have a lot of pressure. It's not tense. I don't have to keep replaying things because I'm meant to go and succeed or fail. And if I fail, I'm not going to restart. I'm just going to get a different result, right? Yeah. And so I feel like there's room for these type of games. People talk about now like how tough retro games were. Well, I grew up in that time. I played those difficult games and I enjoyed that time. But even later on in my life, I can appreciate games like this. Now, I will say that maybe the irony of it is, is my kids are so addicted to games on the smartphones and it drives me nuts. <laughs> wow, that's <laughs> so, an interesting twist. <laughs> exactly. So honestly, right now, I, like, I have no data plan left because my son is always playing my wife's phone on the road and it, it drives me insane. And my wife plays these phone games so there is a portion of me that gets graded by that kind of activity. Mm. But at the same time, you know, I understand these things are easily accessible to them. They can pick them up and they can put them down very quickly. And it's not a means of having to turn on a console, waiting for a game to load, actually find time to sit down and play a game like you and I have to do. And so it totally makes sense in today's modern world. But I do wish and long for that communal gameplay that I grew up with when I was young. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know what else to say to that. And it's funny, we have a similar situation. My wife and I haven't done it in a while, but we've played video games before, like console games. But she is much more of a mobile gamer. 
I kind of have the same feelings as you do. Like, oh, I wish we could play more console games together. I'm sure she would if I asked her. It's just that I'm not playing too much nowadays myself. Yeah, same for me. Yeah. But yeah, on the other hand, would I play Gardenscapes on my phone if she asked me to? Like, no, I'm not. (laughs) Like, I don't want to play that crap. But then again, you know, so it's like, well, that's what pleases her. That's what she likes. So, you know, God bless it. Yeah. You know, I think we're both kind of on the same page here, which which is that the stigma, for lack of a better term, is called casual gaming. It's not worth caring about. I'm very happy that we're having this discussion, but in, you know, as far as my selection of games or what I'm going to write about or what we're going to play in the podcast or what I'm going to recommend to friends... I don't give a rat's ass if it's a hardcore game or if it's challenging or, you know, are you going to be able to brag when you finish it? No. Is it a cool experience, you know? Right. I think kind of the point is, is everyone's line in the sand is different, right? From what a hardcore game is to what a uh, baby game for babies is. (laughs) Yeah, no. As we like to say, that's kind of our quote. I think my line is phone games, you know, but then there are other people that love phone games. And uh, I'm sure there's some great and very challenging ones out there that I haven't played yet that would probably change my mind completely. But uh, it's not for me. I'm a console guy and that's just what I love. So I mentioned before that the story and the characters are probably going to take up the majority of this discussion. We had already mentioned that you play as Jody, who is mocap by Ellen Page. There's the character Nathan, played by Willem Dafoe. He acts as sort of her surrogate guardian. He's the uh, lab technician who is studying her, but he becomes very close to her. We find out that Nathan loses his daughter and wife in a car accident, so he and Jody become very close. Another character, and probably my favorite character in the game, is Cole. 
played by Kadeem Hardison, who many of you may remember it from a different world if you used to watch that show growing up. He's put on a few pounds since then. <laughs> He's not the skinny, glass-flipping guy that he used to be, but uh, man, I, I really loved his character in this game. Uh, how about you? Yeah, that's awesome. And I can tell you that he was really stoked to be in this game. I don't know if you watched... Oh, really? Yeah, well... I'm basing this on the behind the scenes videos that are on the game. I actually played the PS4 version, so I need to watch more of yeah, those. Yeah, I, I believe they're on the PS3 version as well. But when they interviewed him about doing the acting and doing the mocap and stuff, he was like a kid in a candy store and he was just like, I'm such a gamer at heart and I love video games and I'm so <laughs> excited awesome. to be in something like this. It's so awesome to come to work every day and do this. Like he was so jazzed about it. It was really cool. That's really cool. And from what I understand, they filmed this for like a year. So it, it took them a while to get all of this down. Another character in the game is Ryan, played by Eric Winter. He is the CIA agent who's sort of a hard ass, but ends up sort of falling in love with Jody during the game. And we'll definitely talk about that love story, right, oh, Sean? Yeah. Something I think we really need to, <laughs> to really focus on. But uh, uh, one thing I do want to start talking about with the story and the characters and just kind of a, a general question is in regards to the mocap and the use of Hollywood stars. Now, I know in a lot of the games we played, I can't remember in Heavy Rain if there were any like big name stars in that game. Were there? I know there weren't an Indigo Prophecy. No, I, I believe in Heavy Rain because most of those actors are French or European, and so not well known actors even yeah, to this day. And Until day. Dawn, there were a few though, right? I think in Until Dawn, there were a few people that were somewhat recognizable. No one that I knew. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not. Like, oh, you know Hayden Penetieri, Penetieri, whatever her name is. Nah, no. didn't know. Well, for real? Didn't know her. No. No. <laughs> oh, man, I don't remember <laughs> discussing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't keep up with pop culture, but I do know who the hell William Defoe is, and I want to go drinking with that dude. Willem, if you're listening to this, man, let's go pop a few beers back, man. That would be awesome. <laughs> What's your favorite Willem Defoe movie? Uh, man, you know, I love him in Shadow of the Vampire. Have you ever seen that? No, I know what it is. I I need to see that. Yeah, man. It's a great film, other than uh, his appearance in Fishing with John. And I also do love his performance in uh, that Wes Anderson film, uh, Life Aquatic. He's great in that, Excellent. too. Yeah. He got a little yeah. bit part, but he's awesome. Yeah, what's the other one? that he He's in that other Wes Anderson movie, too, where he plays the villain. It's uh, uh, the hotel. Um, the Grand Budapest Yeah, Hotel? yeah. He's in Grand Budapest yeah, Hotel yeah. as well. Yeah. Okay. Have you ever seen Antichrist? No, I haven't. Oh, boy. <laughs> that's a <laughs> Lars von Trier movie. Uh, that's Lars von Trier's attempt at making a horror movie. Ah, and okay. let me tell you, it's it's horrifying. Uh, <laughs> Willem Dafoe is in it and uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg, who is one of my favorite actresses. So it's a hell of a movie. Definitely don't watch it with the kids or anyone that you know. <laughs> <laughs> we just watched the old Spider-Man movie the other night. Um, oh, he was Toby really McGuire. good in that. Yeah, yeah, Green Goblin. He's good in that too, you know. There's, there's some parts there where he would like jump on the ledge and hiss and stuff where I would just start cracking up, you know. It's like, man, that is so out of character for Willem Dafoe, but... Uh, yeah, fantastic, man. All right, man, let's stop talking about my husbando and uh, get on to some more talking. Awesome. <laughs> 
so what I'm kind of getting around to is how did you feel about them using Hollywood stars in this game? Is it off-putting? Does it break the fourth wall for you in seeing these famous actors and actresses in games? Or, you know, do you just kind of go along with the flow like you would a normal video game? That's kind of interesting that you put it as breaking the fourth wall. It's almost like solidifying the fourth wall, isn't it? It makes it more cinematic. Well, I'll I'll answer your question directly. It didn't put me off in this game, and I kind of loved it. But I don't know if that's just that the recipe of this game and it being Ellen Page and Willem Dafoe, who are two actors that I happen to really like, or... You know, if they replace Willem Dafoe with somebody who I didn't like, would I say, oh, I don't like that person? Or, oh, I wish they didn't use Hollywood actors in this game. You know, I don't know how I would react. But I think it was just like a good recipe for this game, however it turned out. So I'm not sure. It definitely didn't put me off. It just more made it uh, the way David Cage wanted it to be, which was a cinematic experience more than... Uh, a hardcore video game as we were discussing earlier yeah well let me just start by saying that no one replaces Willem Dafoe um and um (laughs) I think the term I was looking for was not breaking the fourth wall but maybe breaking your like suspension of disbelief you know like yeah or the immersion yeah yeah Yeah. and I think that's more what I was talking about I just just sort of misspoke there no but it was a good not a Freudian slip but it was a good turn of phrase to kind of discuss it that way I'm actually glad that you put it that way Sean we've been doing this a long time man you don't have to kiss my ass no I mean it man I'm serious Listen, if you said something stupid, we would say you say something stupid. You and know? then I would edit it out later. Right, you know? exactly. There you go. <laughs> uh, but I think for me, I did notice that I was more playing a video game than, you know, like what I might normally feel, like, say, as I was playing Heavy Rain or Until Dawn. You know, I, I didn't have any familiarity with those characters playing as Ellen Page, I'm just kind of always looking at that as an actress and and knowing that that's Ellen Page. It is what it is. I didn't really realize that Kadeem Hardison was who he was until, you know, I started doing research on this. So I thought that was pretty cool. It did like kind of break my suspension of disbelief a little bit, but nothing that was aggravating or nothing that was off-putting or, you know, nothing that would make me say, don't play this game. It just kind of gave me more of a feeling like I was in this movie, you know, or I was directing this movie as, you know, we had kind of spoken about before. Cool. So as you might have heard earlier, Sean was talking a little bit about playing this game in order. For those of you who've never played this game, the presentation is a lot different than what most of us are accustomed to when we play video games. For the most part, the narrative kind of starts at the beginning of the story and winds up at the end in some way. Now, with games like Until Dawn, you may break into different parts that are sort of happening like simultaneously and play one part first and then move on to the next part with other characters in the game. But with this game, the focus of the entire game, you're playing as Jody and Aiden. And what they do is quite interesting. It's not the norm. They actually break up the chronology of this game. Sometimes you'll be playing her as a young girl. Then you'll be playing her as an adult. And from what I remember, you actually start this game in the prologue. You've been picked up by this sheriff who's out driving at night. Your head shaved. And uh, 
Now, as I'm saying this, I'm talking about when I played the game and my experience playing the game. Sean had a completely different experience. And, um, and so it's very out of sequence, this game is, but somehow they just really, really managed to make this work. And Sean, I know you played this game before. Do you have memories of playing this for the first time and sort of the chronology and the sequencing and, you know, whether you thought they did a good job with that or whether you think that it was, you know, maybe a bit off-putting? No, I do remember liking it the first time I played it. It does have like kind of that, like a Quentin Tarantino movie feel, like a Pulp Fiction kind of jumping around from time period to time period within the story. (laughs) I think it worked well for the game as, as far as I can remember from the first time that I played it. So yeah, I should explain that in the... Is it available on the PS3 version or just the PS4 version, the, the remix mode? I don't recall like seeing a remix on the PS3, okay. but I didn't really do any searching through any of my options or anything like that. I just hit start new game and just took off. So yeah, so maybe I so. Do, maybe someone. I do believe. Yeah, I think it's for the remaster and. Um, so remix mode, essentially, you just play the game in chronological order. Now, it does start with the same prologue, and there is one scene towards the end that they really couldn't have. Or be a spoiler, right? Right. It's not the ending of the game. It's another like kind of small scene that they really couldn't have put it chronologically because it would have been a big spoiler. Yeah. But for the most part, playing the remix mode just plays the game chronologically. You go from Jody as a young girl with the family to when she's moved to the compound to when she goes to CIA and and so on and so forth in chronological order. And I actually really enjoyed playing the game this way. Oh, okay. Um, Interesting. I don't think it was better as a game, mm-hmm. but it was interesting as a second playthrough, and I would highly recommend doing this if you played the game once through the traditional mode, which is a, a kind of the mixed-up chronology. You know, give it some time, and then when you go back to it, try the remix mode. I, I actually really liked it. It's almost like the um, there's a cut of the movie Memento that is actually set in chronological order, and it kind of reminded me of that because that movie has this like element of confusion to it. If you've ever seen that, because oh, of absolutely, the I posted about it on the forums. Yeah, that's the one. It probably reminds me of the most. I mean, because there are some like big reveals in that movie. It's that sort of thing where you're getting bits and pieces, and you're trying to put it all together into one cohesive narrative. Man, I thought they did a fantastic job. And to hear from you that they were able to take that narrative, something that they had planned out to break up and do different parts and then switch it around and move it into a linear story and it still work and still be really cool. And you actually preferred that version. I mean, that says a lot about these people as game developers and what they were able to do with this and being able to to have it two different ways. Because I feel like... There are some things, you know, even some films that are filmed that way that if you try to make them linear, they probably wouldn't work as well and they wouldn't be as cool or they just wouldn't be as good. And maybe there might be some things that wouldn't quite line up. And uh, I think it's amazing that they did that. So, you know, kudos to the writers you know, and directors for uh, being able to do that with this game. Yeah. All right. So a little bit about the background and the story of the game. Again, you're playing as Jody, who is this young child who 
at some points of the game, you find out that you're living with foster parents, and strange things are going on with you. Even as a young child, you're seeing these spirits. There's one scene in particular where you're outside of your home, out playing in the snow, and you get sort of attacked by these kids that are like throwing snowballs at you. And one of the kids starts bullying you and like calling you a witch because weird things are happening to you as a child. And Aiden, your spirit, kind of attacks this kid. And so you're seen as sort of this threat and you get sent to this group of people who study individuals with these psychic powers. And so you're put there as sort of a test subject. You actually live on the premises, which... My goodness, must be terrifying for any kid. Your, your foster parents who you've known as your parents for your whole life just basically drop you off at this place and leave you there. And you're just sort of this lab rat. Your powers are harnessed. They understand what you can do. And it's not long before the CIA comes and starts sniffing around and figures that you could probably do a few things to benefit our country, right? <laughs> so yeah. you get trained by the CIA. Honestly, you get forced into it. You never have a life as a teenager, not a normal life anyway. And there's some really cool scenes that they implement, like the party scene in this game and the, the scene where you're trying to sneak out to kind of um, give you the idea of what it's like to be this character. And I think those are really implemented well into the game. But you basically are forced into becoming the CIA operative and you're working for the government on uh, military expeditions and doing things against other countries beyond your will, sometimes with very little information of the consequences. So there's a really good narrative to the story, and I feel like that it really has a political and philosophical message. And uh, I think there's some scenes that maybe we could even pick out and talk about specifically. And one of those being the assassination mission, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, that's like a pivotal moment in the game. And it's what we were discussing earlier about a lot of carnage, a lot of violence, at least in the chronological playthrough. This is one of the first instances of that. But yeah, in that mission, that's kind of where the bigger picture of the game kind of takes its form, which yeah. is that you are sent by the U.S. government and on a ground level, you're sent by the character of Ryan, who we'll get to in a we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. Yeah. Um, but you're sent to assassinate this leader in... I forget what they say if they do say it in an African or Middle Eastern kind of geography. Yeah. And um, you carry out the mission. It's very heart-wrenching. There's a child involved. And you come to find out that this guy was actually leading a resistance against the more corrupt government. But the CIA wanted to keep the more corrupt government in power. And they didn't want this guy who was more of a peacekeeper and more of a reformer to yes. take power. So he's you assassinated him. And boy, Jody is not happy about that. So no, no, that's kind of where, yeah, that's kind of where she goes on on the lamb in the game and actually jumps out of a helicopter to escape. So right, um, that that's a pretty amazing and impactful scene. So, and to get back to the point of Ryan, if you didn't hate him already, <laughs> you're gonna hate him just that much more because we should mention the scene where 
where Ryan takes you out of the compound, it's not a happy scene. And his first impression, again, I got to be careful because I'm, I don't know in the unchronological <laughs> part, the, you know, the, the, in that way, when you first meet Ryan, but like when he comes to get you, it's not a good first impression, you know, He's a jerk. Yeah, right. He takes you away. I don't care. You won't need your stuff. You know, like we're leaving now. I don't care. Yeah. Ryan's a really tough character to warm up to. And if you don't know, Ryan is the love interest in the story. He's the one that, like Sean said, he's tough on Jody. He's not very comforting to her needs when she's being like basically ripped out of her surrogate father, Nathan's arms and, you know, being thrown into the CIA to become this killing machine he has no sympathy for her whatsoever and then throughout the game they get to know each other a little better and jody kind of falls for him a bit right and there's this whole scene where they're back at jody's apartment having dinner of course um Iden's having none of it, especially if you're playing him like Sean and I are. Uh, you know, we're just kind of like, you know, this guy put a bad taste in my mouth. So I'm like, no, nah, man, you're not going to get anybody. That's not going to happen in my playthrough, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of the straw that breaks the camel's back, so to speak, is this, you know, relationship with Ryan and the fact that Ryan knew what was going on. He helps pull you out of that war-torn country. But at the same time, he knew what was going on, and he is the good soldier, always following orders and not having any emotion. And it's not until later on in the game where he and Jody are put into life-threatening situations where he realizes that he has real feelings for Jody, and he sort of becomes willing to step out of that good soldier mentality to pursue some affection towards you, which... I don't know. That's one of the things I wanted to talk about with this game, um, sort of the relationship between Ryan and Jody and what I feel sort of the game is doing. Yeah, this was one of the biggest things I wanted to talk about. It was one of the things I actually hated about the game. Yeah, and me too. I like this game a lot. I really do. Um, but the way Ryan is kind of forced on you in this game, like, yeah. man, if you ever wanted to put yourself in the shoes of a young woman who has a man who just won't take no for an answer pretty much. Yeah. Uh, this is the game to try. It, it made me very empathetic to that kind of situation, uh, being in, in a woman's shoes like that. So yeah, I, I just didn't really like from like a nuts and bolts gameplay perspective, mm -hmm. the game doesn't take no for an answer. And I feel like it really should have, you know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. obviously, like you said, they wanted to make this freaking glass of milk into a, <laughs> a love interest, but right. he's not a very interesting character. I don't know the guy as an actor, but he's, you know, whatever as an actor. Yeah. It's just, you're in these bad situations and you can tell him off. You can kind of have Iden throw him out of your apartment. And I kind of botched the whole thing. You can leave the apartment messy. You can order pizza instead of cooking. And and then you can have Iden wreck the joint. But the whole thing is that Jody is supposed to kind of want this. And she argues with Iden about it, you know, before, during, and after that whole date scene. Oh, yeah. Um, I was cooking, man. Yeah. So then <laughs> two things that really really pissed me off and I'll I'll wrap this up because I know I could I could rant about this for a while. But two things were when you come out of the submarine when you're in China. Yes. And um 
That was one of those instances where the button prompts were not descriptive enough. That's when he professes his love to you. He says, Jody, I love you. I think you don't say anything at that point, but then he says, so do you love me? And I was like, no, like I couldn't hit that no button quick enough, man. Yes. <laughs> so then the next thing is, um, oh, well, I forget what he says, but then your options are very vague and I hit sarcastic and she says something like, well, this isn't really quite the place for a candlelight dinner, huh? And it's like, no, that's not what I wanted you to say. I wanted you to tell him off, you know, yeah, like call yeah. him an asshole, be sarcastic about how it's his fault you're in this position in the first place, you know right, what I mean? Right. Like, that's not the kind of sarcasm I was expecting. And then just real quick, the last part, when you're in the void with him and he freaking kisses you, I was like... I literally screamed at my TV, get this f-ing guy off of me. Like, what the <laughs> hell? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no means no, you know, whether For whether real. I'm saying it or I'm pressing my damn X button over and over again, it means no. I totally felt that way too, man. And, you know, you mentioned like the prompts not always went exactly what you want them to do. I felt like in this game and beyond, they did a better job of making the prompts do what you wanted them to do as opposed to like heavy rain where like something would be like vague and then you would hit it and you're like, oh man, that's not what I wanted at all. Mm. I think they did a, a better job of giving you the correct prompts, but the result wasn't always what you wanted. And like I said, I mean, I'm directing this movie. I want total control over it, right? Whether it be, you know, my combat fighting or in the decisions I make with another person in this game. I mean, let me say no. And to top it all off, I get to the end of the damn game and I have a choice to go with Ryan. Why? Why do I even have that choice? How many times do I have to say no in this game? It was just, it was, it was ridiculous. I felt like the game was really pushing that happy ending. And I know David Cage's big thing is just be satisfied with the ending you get. Play this game. If you make mistakes or do something, this is your game. Well, if it's my game, I feel like I need to have that control. And in the end, I did have the control to not pick him. And I do appreciate that. But at the same time, why should I even have that option up to that point? What do I have to do? to get this guy off my back. It was just ridiculous. And uh, yeah, I think we discussed this a bit on the forums, and I think a lot of people agreed with our thoughts on that. Yeah, and I think one of the things that makes it the most disappointing is that after playing Heavy Rain, that's a game where you can screw up a quick time event and kill a character. You know what I mean? But in this game, you can tell this guy... You can tell him off. You can tell him you don't like him. You can run away from him. You can do all these things in a sequence of events that culminates with a freaking romantic kiss in a dangerous situation. That's wrong. That's bad writing. Like, I really can't believe they did that. And it sucks. (laughs) I mean, he pulled off his protection belt. I was like, yes, this guy's finally going to die. You know, (laughs) finally going to get rid of this guy. (laughs) Nope. Yeah. Nope. No. Ends up living. (laughs) Amazing. So just to kind of piece together the game a little bit more, this whole incident happens. You're on the lam and running from the CIA, causing complete carnage as you run from these guys. 
they finally catch up with you and you get sort of brought back into the fold. And you're brought back into the fold because there's a world event happening that could basically change humanity. What's happening is the United States is starting to open these voids where these spirits are coming from. They're kind of entering into the spirit world and being able to communicate with the dead. And the government has decided that this is a good thing to use to implement war with. Of course, right? That's what yeah. we do. And so what's happening is there's these other places in the world, and I think you mentioned China, somewhere in Asia. I think it's a little bit vague where they have opened up this portal. Let's compare it to like the run to space between the Russians and the U.S. I mean, this is like basically a run to gain control of the spirit world and use it against everywhere else in the world for total world domination. So you're put in charge of this elite ops group to go and shut this void down and to cause havoc. And basically, you go, you do that, and then, of course, you realize again that you're just being used again. And it, it kind of turns around, and you find out that, big spoiler here, you find out that when you were born, the U.S. government was there and your mother passed away, and you were part of this experiment. They basically put your mother into a vegetative state so that she wouldn't come find you or come try to seek you out. You know, it's just kind of this whole coup around your character. Yeah, and we should mention that your birth mother and your birth father, it's mentioned very briefly and quickly, but that they are both like clairvoyant and have these special powers. So the whole idea was that to like breed like an X-Men basically, (laughs) like to, (laughs) to purposely put two people with these powers together to see what their offspring would, would do. And that's what Jody is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to bring up about this whole idea of political and philosophical implications of the game. This whole idea of countries deciding what is right and how far we should go to be world superpowers. And uh, especially in sort of the political climate right now that we're in with the denuclearization, in quotes again, of uh, North Korea, right? I mean, these are powers that can end the world and people have these in their hands and who are the people that are using it for right? Who are the people using it for wrong? Does it matter like where you're living or whose side you're on if you think something's right or something's wrong? You know, it's a very thought-provoking game in that sense. And I don't know, did any of that kind of cross your mind as you're playing it? Yeah, it definitely did. I will say like the bigger themes of this game, like I totally see the parallel that you're seeing to the space race and also to the nuclear race and the Cold War. Like... That's a very good analogy for what they did here with the portals. It also reminds me of the movie um, Arrival that came out a couple of years ago where all the different countries are trying to decipher what the aliens are saying at the same time. Very similar kind of vibe to that. The theme of what governments would do given some kind of ultimate power is horrifying and terrifying. Like That's definitely chilling in this game when you really start to think about it like what if something like this you know notwithstanding that nuclear weapons do exist like what if something like this existed you know it's it's very very scary yeah 
takes it that supernatural step forward, right? And uh, it uh, goes beyond what we know as possible in today's current world. But at the same time, I feel like it really makes you reflect on current situations and even, you know, past situations like you mentioned, like the Cold War and, you know, the space race, you know, that happened uh, several years ago. So I don't want to talk about the ending right now because I want to save that to the end where we start to talk about our final thoughts. But I did want to mention some of the side stories in the game. I felt like there's at least two or three scenes where I don't want to say that they're ill-fitting, but they could have been pulled out of the narrative and you still have a very cohesive story. And two of those that I'm referring to are the Navajo Ranch scene and then the homeless scene. And I also have on here the assassination mission, but I kind of feel like that that kind of goes into the broader narrative and is fairly essential to the game. But it does provide some of the best action in the game and probably the biggest action scene in the game. I want to know what you thought about these side stories, especially in terms of the Navajo and the homeless portion of the game. Do you feel like they fit or did they kind of seem unnecessary? Wow, I didn't think about this too much, but unnecessary, it seems harsh, but when I think about it, you know, I do feel like they are more in there to just have more interesting things for Jody to do, like more character development for Jody. And I feel like the homeless scene is kind of a rock bottom where the Navajo scene is kind of a rising up of Jody's character. So I do do feel like it's kind of a valley and a peak in a story sense. So yeah, I don't know if I would put it as unnecessary. Of course, if you cut those two whole sequences and you, you know, you put the assassination on the table too, like you're not left with much, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that's an interesting perspective, but I do think the the homeless scene is actually very powerful because I agree. Yeah. not many of us have ever been homeless. So I, I honestly, I don't know how authentic it is, but it felt very destitute and sad. And I have to guess that it was very well pulled off, you know, like, wh- how did you feel about that? I liked it. And even though it wasn't a big part of the overall narrative, I thought it really develop the character of Jody really well. Here's yeah. someone who has been isolated and been inside an institution her entire life, who still was basically inside of an institution being in the CIA and who ran from this and now has to be on her own and survive and develop these relationships with these people. I thought the relationships with these people were very interesting and kind of gave you a um, an interesting look of what it might feel like to be homeless. And uh, it's pretty powerful. I thought it was a very important part of the game. The Navajo ranch scene, I don't know really how I felt about that. I thought it was cool. But at the same time, I felt like the narrative that was out on that ranch and the evil spirits didn't really tie in very much to the overall story. Now, I know she was able to help that family, you know, by using her abilities and also using Aiden to uh, combat those spirits and to bring peace to those people. But um, it also sort of developed a new love interest in the game, which was 
kind of odd and seemed a little bit forced in that way too, though I did feel like I had more freedom in that relationship, right? I felt like I didn't necessarily have to um, put myself out there in a way that I was drawn to that guy. But even at the end of the game, I had the option of going and being with that character. And, uh, you know, I, I felt like it was just an additional option as was the homeless scene as well, because at the end of the game, you get that option too, right? You get four options at the end of the game. You get being alone, you get the um, being with Ryan, you get going back to the Navajo Ranch, and then you get the option to be with the homeless group of people that are now living in an apartment. And so I, I'm kind of on the fence with this. I, I did feel like it was really, really good character development, but... I felt like the Navajo scene was very, very long, and I kind of questioned like how necessary it was and how it really fit well into the overall narrative of the story. I kind of can't disagree with you now that you've talked it out a little. Uh, for the Navajo specifically, that almost felt yeah. like um, like a DLC segment that was kind of... <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to describe yeah, that. Yeah, like kind of wedged into the game. And the, the way you kind of explain the spirits so you have to kind of summon the good spirits with this ritual to defeat the evil spirit but it i think you're right that it kind of didn't feel properly tied in with the spiritual world that has been presented in the game thus far you know what i mean so yeah the only thing i can think of is maybe when they did that ceremony they opened a rift like you see you know, which the U.S. government has opened one, and then, you know, in that unnamed Asian country, they've opened a rift as well. So maybe it was the same type of spirits. Maybe that's how it's tied in. That's the only connection I can sort of make, but I think that connection's very loose. And because it's so loose, it doesn't cohere with the rest of the story. So now we've fleshed out most of the story, we should probably talk a little bit about graphics. You played this on PS4, and I played this on PS3, so maybe we can talk a little bit about the difference in that. Now, did you originally play it on PS3 when you played it the first time? Yeah, I have a copy on the PS3. I was actually really excited to get this game, and I got to shout out my friend Tyler back in New Jersey because I had bought a vanilla copy of the game when it first came out, but he bought the Steelbook, and... Um, Ah, that's what I Yeah, have. he ended up giving me the Steelbook copy after a while because he knew how much I wanted it. So that's a copy I have in my collection. 
However, for this playthrough, I played it on the PS4 because it was the PS Plus game uh, like last month. It was perfect timing. Yeah. So I played it on the PS4 this time and man, it looks good. It is the hyper realism, which is what Quantic Dream usually goes for. And mm-hmm. they're very famous for their facial animations and skin textures and all that stuff. That's why they they put extreme close-ups of characters' faces in their loading screens because they really want you to see how realistic they are. But yeah, I love just the detail and you can kind of look around the environments and I really appreciate the total attention to detail and the hyper-realism. Yeah, I agree. I think this game is really, really beautiful and really, really well done. It looks fantastic, even on PS3. Now, I have a, a pretty good TV and the resolution's really great on it. I mean, you still know you're playing a game. You can still tell it's mo-capped and, you know, it's not live action, but it still looks really, really fantastic. The only portion that I had some problems with, I thought some of the game was kind of dark, and I don't want to blame this on the game because I don't know if it's the result of the game or if it's just the way my TV's set up. There were times, like as I'm running through the forest and stuff, and maybe it's meant to be dark. When I'm riding on the motorcycle, I felt like, you know, I could have used a little bit more brightness. Um, You know, there were just some parts that were a little cloudy to me because of the darkness and just had a lot of problems with the control sometimes because of that. But we were talking before about the scene where you're running through the forest and how you just keep running into things. And, you know, maybe that's the way the game's supposed to be. Maybe you are supposed to do that. And, you know, it kind of adds to the disorientation of the character. So maybe that's purposeful or, again, maybe just the settings that I've got going on on my television. All right, moving right along. Let's uh, talk a little bit about the music and sound in this game. I wanted to talk about this because I'm listening to the score of the game and, you know, I'm I'm thinking it's really, really nice and really enjoying it. It's got that really nice, like, action-packed kind of feel to it. The scenes that are really kind of gut-wrenching, I think the music's appropriate for those. I think the scenes that are quieter and more reserved, it's got great music and sounds in that area as well. Then I get to the end of the game, and I'm watching the credits roll up, and I see the name Hans Zimmer. Now, are you familiar with this name? Do you know who Hans Zimmer is? I'm familiar with the name, but I'm going to let you nerd out on who it is, because I can tell you're a fan, so go for it. Oh, man. I mean, (laughs) yeah. I mean, when you get a Hans Zimmer score, that's the hype, man. That's, That's some good stuff. I mean, there's... You know, all these guys from the 80s that I can really kind of go on about and and talk about their work on movies and scores. But Zimmer is really famous for his work with the more recent like Dark Knight movies and even the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, which you might say, oh, that's kind of cheesy. But man, if you go back and listen to those scores, it's really, really good music. He's one of these guys that can really, really do action films well. Before, like, I talk about Zimmer too much, I do want to mention he was sort of brought in later on. He joined as a producer in August of 2013. And why that's significant is because if you watch the end credits of the game, you'll notice that it's dedicated to Norman Corbeil. The reason is, is because Norman Corbeil was the original composer of this game. He also worked on Quantic Dream's Heavy Rain and and its predecessor, Indigo Prophecy. 
he was unable to finish his work on Beyond because he unfortunately died of pancreatic cancer in July of 2013. So when he passed away, a guy named Lorne Balfe, who wrote the score for Assassin's Creed 3, replaced Corbeil as the game's composer, and of course, Belf's collaborator was Hans Zimmer. So they were friends, and so that's how Hans Zimmer got pulled into this. He shouldn't get most of the credit for this score. However, you can really hear his hand in it. It's really, really obvious. But I, I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on the score of this game. Yeah, I thought the music was great. It was scored very well, and I think as all the signs we've been pointing to, let alone the creator's intention, it, it helps to serve the cinematic feel of the game. So, yeah, they definitely made some good choices here. Like you said, when it's a dangerous situation, the music feels tense and dramatic. But yeah, I think it really serves to uh, heighten that cinematic experience. I do want to mention one thing real quick about the sound effects in this game. I mean, okay, yeah. the sound design of the game is very well done. The explosions and all that stuff, all very well done. But one thing I particularly liked was the sound effect when you take control of Aiden. I can't describe the sound effect, but you really feel like you're transitioning from one spirit to another. Yeah. It's it's hard to explain, but it really gives you the feeling that you're moving from this one being into another being. And then from there, when you're playing as Aiden, you, the sound design is very akin to being underwater, which I think is, I think that was a really good choice to do it that way. And, and just to add to that, I, I love the sound, too, when you kind of get sucked back in. When you press triangle again, you get sucked back into Jody's body. I think it makes like a particular kind of sound when it does that. When you're moving from one world to the next, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's interesting because they had to come up with something for that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. They, they did a really good job. They were very, you know, with their creativity as far as the sound effects go. I, I really appreciated it. Yeah, and they always say that that kind of feeling of kind of being in space or floating in space is sort of akin to the um, the feeling of being underwater, right? In like right. a swimming pool or something. So that whole idea really fits, as you mentioned. All right, man, before we get into our final thoughts, I do want to sort of wrap up the game and talk about the ending and the twist. Do you want to tell us about that? Well, you're more of a fan of the twist. I'm happy to talk about the <laughs> ending. Let, All right. I'll give the ending choice. We should say Willem Dafoe's character, Nathan, he kind of goes crazy and decides that he wants to try and not bring his daughter and, and wife back to life, but he wants to like trap their souls so he can be with them. Yeah, communicate, yes. Right. So Jody kind of witnesses this and she can see and we can see as a player that they're suffering. They're not happy about the situation yeah. as spirits. So Jody kind of begs him to just release them and let them go and he won't do it. And then there's a scene. It can play out in in a few different ways. I think I got one of the one of the lesser desirable options where I actually I pissed him off and he shot me. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah. When you're in the void and you're trying to negotiate with him, uh, you can really kind of piss him off and, and he ends up shooting you. And uh, I forget what exactly happens in that moment, but I think he kind of runs away like looking for them. But 
oddly enough, you just kind of get up and keep going. Like the gunshot doesn't have much of an effect, unfortunately. And I say unfortunately, not because I want to see Jody get hurt, but there was like no consequence to it. You know what I'm saying? Mm, okay. Okay. Um, so he just kind of runs away. And is that like the last you see of him? No, it's resolved. One of the next parts of the ending is actually um, closing or or the destruction of, or however you want to put it, this final portal. Yeah. And then he ends up dying somehow, and I can't quite remember, and then is reunited with his wife and daughter in the spirit world. That's why I was curious about that, because in mine, he shoots himself in the head. Oh, he shoots himself. Okay. Yeah, okay. he shoots himself in the head. I was wondering if maybe mine varied from yours. But yeah, um, in mine, he ends up shooting himself in the head, and then you see his spirit leave his body, and his spirit is embracing his family spirit. And okay. So that's how he's decided to deal with this. He's realized that he's hurting them by keeping them there. He has realized that what Jody says is true, so he just decides to off himself to be with his family. It's a really uh, disturbing yet touching scene. It's very odd. And as I mentioned before, being able to take control of other characters and shoot other characters, that was one thing. But watching someone do that as well was, man, that that was quite disturbing and almost um, sort of off-putting if it wasn't for him doing that for the love of his family, you know. So, uh, yeah, but uh, really tough to watch for me. Yeah. And by the way, I'm glad you remembered that more clearly than I did, because I was starting to question myself about (laughs) whether I was misremembering certain details. So thank you for being more concise with that. But at the very end, when you take care of that final portal, you are given a choice. There's kind of this beautiful two worlds, one's on your left and one's on your right. And you can basically choose to remain living or to join the spirit world. In my first playthrough years ago, I took what I would consider one of the better endings, which was to remain living and to live with the formerly homeless people. Yep. For this playthrough, I wanted to see what happens if you go into the spirit world. So oh, that's what wow. I did. I'm glad you did that. Yeah. Awesome. I got to hear this. Oh, well, I'll just tell you then. It's <laughs> <laughs> So when you go into the spirit world, it gives you this kind of flowery, metaphysical, new age, spiritual thing where she's giving this monologue about how she's everywhere and nowhere and she can feel the universe, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But then basically, long story short, it's almost the same ending as when you live and go with the homeless people because the woman's daughter becomes like kind of the next fighter Mm. who's going to fight in the apocalypse but you as your spirit you become like her Aiden. oh that's cool yeah it's neat i think i like the living ending better but okay. i'm glad i got to kind of witness it yeah uh, i'm it glad you did too and then we could talk about it on this podcast yeah it's awesome yeah um i did the same thing that you did in your first playthrough which is i chose to live and Either the four choices of being alone, being with Ryan, going back to the Navajo village, or being with the homeless people, I chose the homeless people. I thought it the only logical thing to do. Now, I kind of struggled with it, and it's one of those things where it will not pick that choice for you. You have to make that choice, because I sat there for like a minute and a half to two minutes to make that choice. Yeah, Um, I was like, well, this is obviously 
me picking my ending right here, yep. you know? And I, and I knew that. <laughs> I was like, I want to make sure I pick something that I'm comfortable with. And I appreciate that about the game. I appreciate that they gave me time to make that decision because that's a big decision as far as what your ending is. And, um, of course, I didn't go with Ryan, obviously. Right. Don't care about the ending. I hope I never see it. I don't want to see it. I didn't go back to the Navajo village. I didn't feel like there was any type of romantic connection. And I didn't feel like she was the type of person at this point in her life that needed romance. Uh, yeah. She still needed to find herself. Yep. And so uh, I felt like the people that were closest to her were the homeless people. So I went and moved in with them. Of course, they're not homeless now. They have a place. They're all living together. Just one big house party. And... um you know, I really like that ending a lot. You got your little friend there, the daughter. And at the end, obviously, you've wrecked house over in China and destroyed that portal. You've destroyed the one in the U.S. as well. But, of course, this is technology that they're not going to let go of and they're going to keep pursuing. And so as she gets older, you have to sort of train her to basically become the next person to combat this world apocalypse, right? Yeah. To me, that's the canon ending. That's my favorite ending. And uh, to take the child that you delivered into the world in game and to make her your protege as the credits roll, that's just badass and it's awesome. And <laughs> I love that ending. That's That's my favorite ending for sure. And it's not all uh, sunshines and uh, unicorn farts either, which I know you love. So Right, exactly. <laughs> but I do want to spend a little bit of time in these final thoughts talking about the big twist in the game. Yeah. Now, this was a discussion on the forums, and I come to realize that it wasn't as big a twist as I thought it was. I thought it was a pretty big twist. I didn't see it coming. I don't know if there was anything that could kind of clue in on that. I'll go ahead and say it. What happens is you realize that Aiden is actually your twin brother. That during birth, I think the umbilical cord went around his neck, but his spirit became a part of you and he's always with you. And so, you know, we were referencing earlier in the game, like when you leave Jody's body, there's this like sort of purple stream that follows you around so that you can get back to her, which shows that you guys are tied together. And I think I referenced that it's sort of like an umbilical cord in a way. But I did not see that coming. I thought that was a huge twist. I thought that was just a really cool piece of storytelling. Now, was there anything that gave that away to you? I wouldn't say there was anything that gave it away, but I will say that I wasn't nearly as impressed or okay. like surprised by it. We're not right or wrong about it. It's just, I think it's very interesting. Like I, I was just like, oh, okay, like, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, okay, a stillborn twin. I think that makes perfect sense. Like, it wasn't anything uh, like, oh, my God, I can't believe they went there. So, like, it's, it's kind of neat that just it made a bigger impression on you. I, I like that. Yeah, I thought it was just a really cool piece of storytelling for whatever reason that there was this, you know, kind of secret that was kept and it was just flushed out at the end and you find out and I was like wow you know that's super cool I don't recall ever seeing anything like that in a movie I mean I know there's like movies where there's like evil twins and stuff like that have you ever seen De Palma's sisters no I don't want to give too much of the film away but there's um, sort of a correlation between that film and this game that you can kind of tie and put together if you've ever seen it okay 
I was really impressed by it, but you know, obviously didn't impress everyone. Uh, our buddy Krabby says the Iden is your twin twist. I expected late into the game, a bit before the reveal, when they kept flashing back to the delivery room with your real mother. It's cool and makes sense, but it's not super impactful, and I don't think it was as surprising as it was meant to be. I was far more interested in what they had done to her mother and unraveling that mystery. There you go. Yeah, great thoughts on the game. Appreciate those. So, I guess now we can kind of get into our final thoughts on the game, and as we've done in the past two episodes, I'm just going to read some final thoughts again from our buddy Krabby. He says, as for the ending, this time I chose to be alone. After being betrayed so often, particularly by Nathan after he went off the deep end, and by feeling Jody had very little control over her life to this point, it felt very natural to want to be off the grid for a bit. And after losing the connection to Aiden, I thought she'd want time to adjust to that before interacting with people again. The tease with Aiden still being there, though at the end of that, was a bit lame, I felt. I checked out the Zoe ending just now to see what you meant about her showing up for the apocalypse part, and that is great. In my ending, it's Jody facing it alone. Having another Ghostbuster at your side is far better. All in all, I really enjoy this game, but it's probably my least favorite of the Quantic Dream games. The mystery and characters in the other titles, I think, are quite a bit stronger than they are in Beyond. All right. So those are his thoughts. How about yours, Sean? So I really like this game, except for the, the, you know, the Ryan thing. And I ranted about that. So you know how I feel about it. But my overall impressions of this game, I really like the Jody character. I like that the game is a character study of a most tragic character. Like we've mentioned a few times in this discussion, her life from start till the end of the game, which could be the end of her life if you choose so, um, is just very harrowing and sad and, and just traumatic, you know what I mean? And it makes for a very sympathetic character and taking the shoes of a female protagonist, a woman who is just trying to do the right thing and make her way in this world with this thing that she has going on. 
I was really sucked in by the story and uh, really enjoyed trying to navigate as Jody through this world. And, you know, the gameplay is not even as in-depth as Heavy Rain. Like, it's much simpler even than any of the other Quantic Dream games to date to the time this game was made. So that didn't bother me. You know, I wouldn't let that bother me. I don't, And... You know, maybe David Cage will make a movie someday and it'll probably be a decent movie. But for now, they're making games like this. And, um, you know, someday we will play Detroit Become Human. It'll be in the near future, I'm guessing. So (laughs) we'll be able to talk about uh, Quantic Dream and David Cage a lot more. But yeah, I think Beyond Two Souls is just as worthy as the other titles in their repertoire. So yeah, recommend. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I think uh, this is a very worthy game, and if you enjoy these types of games, it's one that you should certainly play. I will have to agree with Krabby, though. I do prefer Heavy Rain over this game, and for me, it's more of the narrative. Now, I'm not saying that the narrative in this game was bad. It is really, really good, and it's fascinating. I think it's a personal thing for me in that I prefer mystery games, you know, whodunit, those type of things. And I really like watching crime dramas and things like that. So it's more of a um, personal preference for me. I will say that one of the things that I was told before playing this game is that the controls had very much improved and how every time you play a Quantic Dreams game, the controls get better and better. I don't really know that I felt that way about this one. I felt like maybe the controls in Heavy Rain were a little bit better. And the reason I say that is because of, you know, things, for instance, I was talking about like the combat and such, where you're just expected to move your thumbsticks in a certain way and not being prompted. And I feel like a lot of times there's a lot of confusion in that. And for that reason, it really bothered me a lot. And again, (laughs) maybe it's just me and, and my style and being sort of a perfectionist in that, you know, I wanted to execute these moves correctly each time that these sort of situations came up. So I don't think the controls are better. What I do think is that the manner in which they hid the controls out of sight and the buttons, I think that they kind of fit into the background a little bit better and it looked a lot more natural than it did in the earlier games. And so I can appreciate that because it doesn't break that suspension of disbelief that we were talking about. Overall, I am super, super happy that I got to play this game after hearing so much about it. It's fantastic. If you don't own it, it's one you have to get for either your PS3 or pick it up in that Heavy Rain and Beyond Two Souls collection for the PS4. Definitely worthy titles to add to your collection of hardcore or baby games, however you want to play them. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's go ahead and talk about what we're going to be playing in July and August, Sean. I'll let you kick it off. Well, speaking of hardcore games, if you want to bounce back into your hardcore machismo and freaking (laughs) shoot some demons on Mars, baby then uh, you should already be playing Doom with us. Uh, (laughs) We're currently playing the 2016 reboot of Doom, which is available on everything. So check us out. 
Yeah, no excuse. And then in August, continue to kick some ass with us and play Die Hard Arcade on the Sega Saturn and Dynamite Cop on the Dreamcast. Now, this is the first time in our history that we've played a Saturn game or a Dreamcast game. And so we thought this would be like a really cool opportunity to knock two out. And these games are very similar and they're related in a specific way, you know, in that Die Hard series. So, uh, yeah, why not? Some beat 'em up action be fun. Fairly quick games to play, a little bit on the pricey side, but as collectors, I know that a lot of people out there already have these games, and so I'm not so worried about participation for the month. So are you excited about these two titles, Sean? Yeah, I'm psyched. I'm fortunate to have them both, but hell, if you only have one, just play that one with us. Absolutely. Don't worry about it. Or, you know, for Dreamcast, just download it and burn it. And for Saturn, you know, like... (laughs) 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 but yeah no i'm psyched for that it's funny we i didn't realize until just now that we played rhapsody a musical adventure and then beyond two souls and then we kind of commented on those games of the feminine nature of both of those games and now what are we doing we're playing doom and die hard in two months in a row so there you go welcome back men (laughs) that's right And that will wrap up the show. Thanks for listening and thank you for participating in the playthrough. Your July is going to be hot as hell as we slay Mars demons in the 2016 remake of Doom. Available on all current consoles and the PC. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next month on the Playcast.
maybe that's how it's tied in. That's the only connection I can sort of make, but I think that connection's very loose. And because it's so loose, it really doesn't cohese well with the rest of the story. <laughs> the word is cohere. Cohese. That's <laughs> awesome, Rich. <laughs> All right. All right. Hold on. <laughs> Stop laughing so I can get this up. So I really feel like it doesn't cohere with the rest of the story. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> cohese. I'm going to put some cohese on my ham sandwich. Yeah, that's what, <laughs> that's what I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah, they definitely made some good choices here. Like you said, when it's a dangerous situation, the music feels tense and dramatic. When it is dramatic, it can be sad. It can be... Um, I don't know how many adjectives I could come up with. <laughs> I'm running out of gas here. Um, yeah, we're almost at the air to finish line. Man. Yeah, yeah. And now what are we doing? We're playing Doom and Die Hard in two months in a row. So there you go. Welcome back, men. <laughs> That's right. July and August. Put some hair on your chest. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> All right. And on that, put some hair on your chest. Hell yeah, dude. There you go. 